0: The prisons that we build for ourselves will be for our children.
1: Packing bowls and freeing souls from America's heartland. You're listening to Bowl After Bowl with Lorian and Spencer. Hey, don't you keep up with current events? The weed ain't illegal no more nigga. I want my weed. It's just me and my ganja.
2: To have to listen to this crazy man.
1: And I accidentally knocked it in the head. Shut
0: up! Shut
2: up! You like that, Boost? Wait till you see what happens next. Boost me once. Shame on. Shame on. Boost can't get boost again. What?
1: What? What?
2: What? Oh my goodness. We're back at it. It is Friday evening here in FEMA Region Seven. It is December sixteenth, twenty twenty-two, and uh, you're going to listen to another bowls with buds a special edition of bowl after bowl. We like to do when our bowls, uh, when our buds actually can join us in the bowl, sit down and chat a while. I'm Sir Spencer Wolf of Kansas City.
1: I'm Dame DeLorean. Dol-
2: And joining us tonight for his first time in the bowl, my good friend TJ is here with us.
0: Hey, thank you guys for having
2: me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Just fading this music out. Uh, So, for those joining us for the first time, our bowls with buds is... Kind of a different format. It's like our interview format. So we do the bowl after bowl every Tuesday night. And then uh, you can also catch us for some bonus episodes, bowls with buds. We grab some buds and pull them into the bowl. Uh, My buddy TJ, despite aside from, I should say, being an old college buddy of mine, uh, he's an experienced adult educator and senior instructional systems designer. He's got a background in applied research in the field of human decision making. And he's always got uh, just... Interesting takes and thoughts on the current situation that we find ourselves in, and um, what we might be doing about it to get out of it, or to uh, kind of preserve, I guess, our future and our and our freedom for the next uh, future generations. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, you know. Uh, y- the ideas, you know, behind a lot of what you guys talk about, you know, it's, a, it's self-reliance, it's freedom, it's uh, independence, entrepreneurship. I mean, these are all things that are, uh, you know, are near and dear to my heart. And so a lot of what I do, uh, my day job is with that focus in mind as well. So,
2: Awesome. So I think that uh, you were talking to me last time that uh, we got together a lot about the new direction that you are uh, kind of been delving into in your day job. And like, I don't know how many details you wanted to get into or not get into, but. Uh... Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, so I, I could talk a little bit. I mean, hopefully we could talk a lot about about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I, I work in the defense industry. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, pulled apart identity wise. Uh, there's a large part of me that's a pacifist. Um, and there's also a large part of me that is a warrior. And so I have, uh, you know, was in the Army for a long time uh, and then got out and uh, went into adult education. I you know, love to teach and educate. Uh, and so uh, you, my path kind of took me down some, some different areas, but uh, those, those paths intersected really um, when I first started doing uh, research on human decision making. Um, and it was specifically uh, in the United States Army that uh, I got my first taste in that research. Uh, and then I continue that over into academia. Uh, so you know, it's I've 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 seen now a little bit uh both on the inside of the machine and then, you know, of course now on the outside as well. So um I, I think it gives me a little bit of a unique perspective to to say, okay, what is it that we're doing and and how are we gonna foster a future that's conducive for, you know, other generations that's not just, you know. Gonna grind us all up and, and spit us out in the dust. So, <laughs> sure. hopefully, that's not too heavy to talk about.
2: But, no, a- um, absolutely not. Okay. So, yeah. uh, human decision making. I mean, that's kind of a broad yeah, swath of it, uh, it, it is psychology um, in general, I suppose.
0: It is, and really, um, so you know, and, and, and you're exactly right. You know, if you we, we go back far enough, um, uh, this is uh, not only psychology, but if you go back to the Greeks, it's it's philosophical, right? And so, sure, um, there's been different models of the brain uh, throughout history, and there's also been different disciplines that have split off from these different models. Um, now, really, what we're looking at when we're talking about human decision making is cognitive science specifically there's been massive leaps in cognitive science even since we you know me and you were in college um, uh, that we just didn't know or didn't understand or that we thought were some other type of you know system um, so we, we know a lot now about uh, how the brain works what it is that we're doing on a daily basis um, and then we're also discovering some flaws that we've had um, and so and, and and that's kind of where now a lot of uh, my research is is starting to meld. Not just with the decision-making aspect of, of of human cognition, but now starting to apply tools like artificial intelligence, and so AI is really where uh, we're looking at now um, for you know new new gains and discoveries.
2: AI, man, it's it's definitely the hotness right now. It's obviously a topic that's been around for quite a while, but it's really hit some kind of a fever pitch, I think, in the last I don't know six months specifically the yeah. things like uh, these AI art bots that are uh, uh-huh. that are getting kind of next level or very high level or yes. uh, um, I saw one in the coding world where it just kind of I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head but it's like you can just ask it to give you step-by-step instructions on how to do something or how to execute some code and wow. people are actually like using it to kind of pass off work projects. <laughs>
0: Sure, sure. So, and, and I think in that, in that it's kind of, this, this is a big rabbit hole and, and I think it ties into uh, everything uh, we'll probably talk about tonight. And so I don't mind starting with AI. Sure. Um, I, I kind of see this as the end point, um, but it, it, it's also kind of the entry. And so, you, you know, what is, what is AI? And so, you know, if you look back, let's say to, you know, the very first computers, the you know, Alan Turing machine, um, human beings immediately started looking at computational, uh, uh, you, you know, data and saying okay is is this kind of how our brains work and and of course this is the model that we're on now it's called the computer aided model of the brain and we've had many um, uh, in the beginning we had what was maybe considered the animated spirit of the brain Uh, and then we moved into things like the mechanical uh, model of the brain or the hydraulic model of the brain i think was around the, uh, the Renaissance time period, we started figuring out that we're, you know, uh, we have a bunch of pressurized systems, you know, our, our, our circulatory systems, for example. Um, and so, and now we're on the computer-aided model. And, and just like all good models, they're lies. Um, it's sure. not uh, very, very, uh, it's not accurate, right? And so I think at the time, you know, if you look at, you know, when we first had computers, uh, th- this was a, a good enough model. Um, but the problem is, is it's now run aground. And so, if we continue to act like the brain is a computer, um, we're, we're going to miss opportunities. And so that's where well, you know my research is is coming in, uh, and specifically what's uh, under the umbrella of naturalized uh, sense making. And so um, I'm looking at the subset of decision making under that, and, and we can get into it a little bit further. But. Um, yeah, so, so you're going to see a lot of really cool stuff coming from AI and, and some of it, you know, it might, it might give uh, some of your listeners a, a little bit of pause, you know, like, wow, some of this stuff is kind of, you know, it's pretty advanced and is it doing what we're doing as humans? And the answer is yes and no. Um, it, the good news is, is, you know, computers aren't humans and they never will be. Um, sure. there's a very specific reason for that, that we just have this very unique ability, um, a, a based off of time perception. Um, and that computers will never have that, that sense um, but but what what we're figuring out is that most of the logic we have been using in order to program computers have come from uh, the empiricism, okay and this is um, if you think back to, I don't know, you know, if you, if you had a college course on philosophy, you probably learned a little bit about logic and remembered none of it. And that's okay.
1: Because
0: um, <laughs> <It laughs> why matter. am I ever going to need this? Um, you know, so, okay, so you had, you, you know, you had Newton, right? And Isaac Newton comes up with uh, his uh, computational laws for gravity, and he uses both inductive and deductive logic. And that's the world we've been living in up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been a new school of logic. Um, I think within the last 40 40 years, Um, it hasn't been very popular, uh, but it's getting more popular because people are starting to figure out what it means. Um, And that is what's called abductive logic. Um, Inductive and deductive reasoning. What we do is we look at the past and we say, okay, there's, you know, I'm getting all this information or data or whatever you want to say, qualia, sensory information, and we're getting it constantly. And we, you know, we act in the present and then all of a sudden, you know, we, we look back and we can perceive the past, and we say, okay, these are the things that happened in the past. And in order to make sense of those, and this is why uh, sense making is important here, the in order to make sense of our past, we use deductive reasoning to say, okay, what what happened, um, and and inductive reasoning to see the patterns and and see the causal uh, connections between those those patterns. So deduction helps us uh, see what is. Uh, factually true, if this then this type of thing. Sure. Um, And then induction is looking back and saying, okay, I think this is the causal chain, and then therefore then we derive meaning from that. So, you know, uh, I woke up this morning and I brushed my teeth and, uh, you know, everything went great, and Therefore, you know, as long as I brush my teeth every day, all everything will go great. Well, we know that's not true. Sometimes you walk outside, and some people get hit by a bus. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's a rough it's, day. Yeah, right, exactly. So, you know, some people, uh, you're going to go through your life, and the sun's going to rise until one day it doesn't for you. Mm-hmm. And so, so we know that there's a there's a, a flaw in inductive logic when it comes to projecting that forward. So, if you can think of our human perception on time. We have present, past, and future time perceptions. So inductive and deductive logic works for the past, but it doesn't have any bearing on the future. So this is the cool part uh, as, as uh, quantum mechanics gets flushed out is now we're starting to figure out, well, what, what does it mean to act in the here and the now, and what does it mean for the future? Um, and essentially what quantum mechanics is telling us is you, you, we can't use any type of induction or deduction uh, to predict the future. So it's really a logic that is good for past events, but doesn't tell us how to behave right now. So that's really where my research comes in, um, specifically under uh, uh, time-pressured, high-stakes decision-making. And so what, what you're gonna see with a lot of the AI is this new abductive logic applied to it Okay. Um, and, and what I, what, what we think is going to happen is a whole new series of patterns that are going to be revealed to us as human beings. So our perception about maybe everything might change. I mean, that, that's really where we're going here. We're, we're probably entering a new paradigm of, of human consciousness. Um, and, and it's, again, it's not, it's, it's, (laughs) and we can get a little bit further into the different types of cognition, um, but what we're finding is that um, not only do we calibrate to each other, we've known this for a while, like socially, um, but we also calibrate to tools. And so as this AI interacts with us and we, you know, we, it stimulates us and we stimulate it back. And what it does is it, it very well likely might change our consciousness. Um, so, so that's some kind of scary and also exciting things. Um, because you're going to start seeing a whole lot more quality coming out of AI. Um, and it's, I hate to say it, it's, it's not the computer as, as we go further, mm-hmm. that quality is going to be part of us too. So, um, so that, that's kind of where we are with a lot of like in, in, you know, like I said, we can get a little bit further in the AI stuff. Cause that's what I'm really working on now. And it's, it's, I think it's exciting, but, um, sure. you know, the, the history getting here is an interesting one. And, and, you know, I, I, boringly talk about newtonian physics that, that has shaped everything we've we've known
2: yeah that's kind of the um genesis of the so, early modern um both science and philosophy
0: yeah that's right and so um and and it's got us a lot of things but it's also got us you know a lot of positive things don't get me wrong i mean it, the fact that we're even on these computers talking right now is 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 out co- coming out of the enlightenment and that that logic sure um but I think we all know and we've all heard or at least experienced, um, you know, kind of that soul-sucking nature of, you know, Western liberal democracy. It's, it's you know, the communists yelled about the capitalistic nature of profit motive incentives. Um, you know, I think people who are more libertarian or even anarchists um, would say, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a self-governance issue. Sure. But everyone kind of feels this, you know, drain of modernity and you can see companies like Amazon who are, are doing something now that has been a mainstay since at least the 1940s um, and, it, and by the way um, their philosophies on management uh, it's called uh, you know, continual process improvement this comes from deductive and inductive logic so if, if you follow this, this chain what you eventually get is an ever-increasing system of, of uh, you know attempted efficiency and so if you look at Amazon right now you, you mean everybody's probably heard this in the news you know they've, they've been accused of being very draconian mm-hmm. um, really harsh working conditions. well what are those conditions well it's not it's not the heat or the lighting or anything like that what it is is it's it's uh, uh it's fitness trackers what they're putting people through is a series of you know tasks and activities and then they're monitored. And so what happens is, is they, you know, your behavior changes when you're being observed. Sure. Um, this is something we know from physics. Um, it, it, it you know, it, as soon as you observe a, uh, an object in the environment, it, it knows that, um, we know it, uh, atoms and quarks know it, uh, the double slit experiment from, qu- uh, qu- quantum mechanics shows us this. And so, as soon as these people are being observed, their behavior is going to change. Well, it's going to give you a temporary increase, but it's not going to be a natural one. Right. And so we we just, you know, we, we can't force certain things to happen as far as behavior is concerned and there not be a consequence. Amazon's consequence is people are walking away. They're having high turnover rates and people are, are walking off the job saying, this is terrible, I can't keep up with this pace every single day. You know, some days you have a bad day. What if, what if you know, your dog died? Sure. Are you going to be as productive, uh, or, or, you know, a family member? So there, there are times where you know I'm not going to be able to put out like a machine, right? Um, and there are times where I can, but you know, the problem with this continual process improvement model uh, of the West is, you know, it's we've always got to, you know, it's it's faster turnover or more efficient this part of the system, sure. or it's in it's profit mode. You got. Uh, I'll just keep, be honest. Uh, I'm
2: breaking your record every time.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so some of us have worked in
0: corporations where that's, that's the case. They just, you know, the, the leadership will just keep moving the goalpost. And it's because we're in this continual process improvement uh, model uh, of, of business management. And let's be honest, it's infected everything. It's now in our, uh, it's been in our economy. Um, it's in government. It's how government runs itself. It uses all of the same key language as, um, as a business would. Um, you know, the military is the same way. That's my background in the in Department of Defense. That, that's, that's what I experienced there. Um, but it, it's everywhere in the West. Um, and so, you know, th- and this comes from the 1940s. Uh, during World War II, the United States knew they were going to have to draft a bunch of uh, citizens. And so what they did was they turned to the Department of Labor and they said, OK, you need to go to these factories because, one, we're going to be pulling their labor from them. And they're not going to have enough people to produce the things we are going to ask them to produce. And oh, by the way, we have a big list. Here it comes. Sure. Um, but the second thing is, um, we we are they're going to be short. So not only are we taking their people, but now we're going to increase the demand of production. And so we better help them. And that was the idea. We better go help them become as efficient as possible. The problem was, is after the war, all of these manufacturers that was the culture right. And oh, by the way when we occupied japan and germany we brought that with us during the rebuilding and occupation phase so you know you go into the 1980s and 1990s and all of a sudden in japan you've got you know toyota uh automaker what are they doing they're coming out with things like kaizen uh that's the new you know uh, Toyota model that they just released here in the mid-2000s. But they were coming up with things like Kaizen in the 90s. Um, mm. It's what made them so famous. And that was just a continuation of U.S. You know, culture, work culture. Um, and, and, so, and we continue this today. And, and this is an issue because what we're seeing is, uh, as a matter of fact, my wife just said something. She's like, yeah, I just read an article about like you know, quiet quitting. Sure. Um, or, you know, silent walkouts, you know, type of activities. Yeah. And, and there, there has to be that, um, if you overly constrain a system, you're, you're, you're gonna get a, a behavior that you didn't expect. Um, and so, and, and this kind of gets a little bit into chaos theory stuff too, which, you know, I can kind of nerd out about, but, um, yeah. So, so this is, I think, the environment we see ourselves in, you know, we, we, we're, uh, you know, the, product of the baby boomers, the Gen Xers,
1: mm-hmm. you know, we
0: know we, we saw the, you know, peace, love movement happen. We saw that fizzle out, you know, now we're in the, what are we, you know, a, a post-consumer, you know, economy sure. where, what, what is it that we mean? I mean, you know, you know, even have uh, movies like, uh, uh, you know, uh, oh, what, what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to think of the movie with, uh, Oh, Brad Pitt, pulp, not pulp
2: fiction. Uh, but. Yeah. Fight Club. Fight Club.
0: Why can I think of Fight Club? This I
2: just <laughs> I saw the soap and I wanted to say the movie the soap, with the soap yes. on the front. And then the I'm like, soap, no, just yes, you know. Take an extra two seconds and remember it. Yeah. Fight club, there it is.
0: The soap, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay well, you know, and, and this is what this is what they're talking about, right. right? You know, don't don't screw with the people that screw with your food. Well, what does that mean? I mean, we're getting in a system now that's like heavily constrained. Yeah. And uh, you know, people don't want to participate in it. So, there's only so much you can do. Uh so yeah, I think that's where we're at right now if if, you know, if that makes sense.
2: Well, you had mentioned that um we're kind of revising or revamping our model of the brain and how we think of it and that mm-hmm. it's not like a computer and we're not like computers and never be uh mm-hmm. never will be. Uh is this just because of our lack of a predictable output given an input or is it um
0: it's it's a fascinating question because this is this is really where where the edge of our understanding is right now. So we know we don't make decisions like we do looking at the past. So how I make a decision right now is not using deductive or inductive reasoning. Sure. It's not rational. Okay? So if we were going to call that system a rational system, this system is not. Now when you say rational it kind of seems like you know reasonable right like who right. would disagree with anybody who's reasonable um who would dis- who wouldn't be rational actually none of us are okay and this is the interesting part about our cognition is we like to think we're rational and that's after we have time to sure. explain ourselves we're looking back and explaining it We look it back all. and we can see any patterns so if you if you look at let's say four data points just any type of sensory data um you're looking at over 10 different links to those sensory points and over and I the last time I had to look at this I had exact numbers it's something like 1 to the 10th millionth uh you know pattern point i mean it's insane there's like it's it's almost an astronomical number number meaning out of four data points there is almost an infinite number of interpretations of the relationships between them gotcha so me and you, or you know, or anybody, all just two of us, can look back at the same exact, you know, uh, data points in reverse and see completely different patterns.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. So,
0: so how would any of those patterns have any bearing moving forward? And, and and physics shows us they don't. So this is a strange phenomenon because we act as if our past matters right now, and it does perceptually. So cognitively, we need some type of anchor to orient us moving forward. The way we perceive time as animals um, requires it. This is the part where, you know, if you ask, well, why? I don't know yet. <laughs> we <laughs> don't know why. But we, we have different senses. Um, you know, we have the, the touch, taste, smell, all of the normal five senses that we can think of and that everyone's familiar with. We have other sub, subsystem senses as well. Um, and this, this kind of has to do with the structure of the brain. So we have the outer brain, which is the, uh, you know, we've got the cerebral cortex. Um, that's kind of where all of our uh, personalities are, our executive function. Um, it, this is what makes us human. It's the human part of the brain. And then we have the midbrain, which is made up of the limbic system, and it controls emotions and some instincts and that type of stuff. And then we have um, uh, the, the inner brain or the brain stem um, and the spinal column, and the, that's considered the lizard brain. And what we think is that the outer brain and the inner in the midbrain gives us several substances that, uh, that maybe some other animals might have, but that maybe are also unique to us. Um, part of the weird thing about cognition in the brain is that there's different types of cognition. And so way down in there, uh, you know in the mid to even inner brain, we have things, uh, like we have a sensory uh, system that's called proprioception. Proprioception is what gives us the ability to tell where our body parts are, and specifically relative to other body parts. And so actually, matter of fact, if you get pulled over for you know drinking and driving, one of the things a police officer is going to ask you is to close your eyes and touch your nose. Okay, this, it's, it's, a, it's a sensing test because when alcohol hits your, your midbrain, it starts dampening this subsystem. Um, that's one of literally hundreds. Okay. We have, so the way you can break those subsystems down is through the four types of cognition we have embedded cognition, we've got uh, extended cognition, we've got enacted cognition, and we've got embodied cognition. And embodied cognition is kind of considered the first, and it's, it's, uh, it is. Looking at how the body and the brain are inseparable, okay? So this is one to your question. How is AI, you know, and how are computers not like humans? Right. They do not have what's called embodied cognition. Um, We're pulling in a shit ton of sensory information from our body constantly. Um, Just mention some of them, touch. Think about all of the ways in which you can touch things and all the different surfaces and patterns and and feelings that you get out of there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's a ton of information. Um, When we are operating machinery, let's say a helicopter. A helicopter has an extreme amount of torque. It's not like uh, an airplane. An airplane pulls you like a sled and you just ride in the back of it. Mm -hmm. A helicopter is constantly trying to pull you in a direction. And so a helicopter pilot has to learn uh, what the feeling of the helicopter is. He or she's going to be moving way too fast, in some cases, to ever consciously think about flying that helicopter. It's not a rational process. Sure. Um, at the first series, it's an, in, it's an embodied process. And so you start to feel what that torque feels like as it's moving you. And your body and mind are calibrating itself to that device. And that's how you fly. Um, it's the same thing when you're driving a car of course it's it happens so naturally you're not even consciousness or you're not even conscious of it Sure um, And so this is the first level of cognition is that embodied cognition and there's all sorts of some wild stuff in there uh, people have probably heard if you know if you if you're an, if you have your leg amputated or something It's called phantom limb yep. your body has mapped that limb onto your uh, Onto your consciousness and so it is acting as if it's there um there, this is another thing you see uh, Elon Musk's uh, you know t- research team doing with Neuralink right now. They've got a monkey that's able to move a cursor, a mouse cursor, from a computer without touching anything. They're just moving it with their mind. Um, and so if we, we we're we're very sure now that what you could do is you could put a dolphin limb on a human, and the human will remap that limb onto their body, um, and it will give you different affordances. Um, which, in psychology, is just a fancy term for you know what 's available to you, sure um, and it and it changes things it changes your perception
2: that's interesting um, that we're like all able to do that with things that aren 't physically us too like uh
0: and that's the strange e- part, even just that's like the fork and the see. knife,
2: you know, like the simple mm-hmm. things, yeah, they're extensions yeah, and, of our know, own body
0: right, and I think you know if you you know if you were going to take a step back in in time, I think there's this you know this mysticism. Um, throughout human history where we're trying to articulate some of this stuff. Um, you know, you can see this even, you know, Buddhist monks talk about having out-of-body experiences in, in and in wall walking. And, by the way, um, uh, you know, d- different types of, of drugs change these perceptual systems. You know, you can feel it. I mean, if you're taking a, you know, some type of like, let's say psilocybin, um, you can see patterns, uh, that you normally cannot see. And a matter of fact, they're fractal. Right. I mean, some, some of the times you're seeing fractal patterns and, oh, by the way, quantum mechanics shows us, yep, there's the fractal patterns. They're actually, you know, just above the atomic level.
2: Uh, you're sitting <laughs> uh, there so, looking around at tapestries, and you're like, oh, that's right. right, kind of interesting, but all right, I'm pretty high. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, it's, like, oh, what's going on? It's changing your perceptions. Yeah. Um, I mean T- Timothy Leary talked about that. The doors to you know of yeah. your perceptions. That's, sure. Yeah, yeah. This is at that at that cognitive level. Or Huxley, I think. Um so so yeah, so there's a lot of stuff there that I think, you know, uh e- e- even even those ac- those of us that are, that are more academic academic, you know, um, and kind of squishy, um, there there's some stuff in there. And 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 you know, maybe it's not fair. I don't want to take everything and and you know lump it into, oh, if it's all cognition, it all can be explained there. I mean, I think there's still a lot of unknown, uh, you know, things in the universe, uh, things we may not even be able to comprehend. But it, at least for some of the stuff that we have been operating on, like the computer model of the brain, that's about to go away. Um, and so, you know, we're looking at things like embodied cognition, inact, uh, in embedded cognition, which looks at uh, things. Basically, you can't separate your... Um, understanding of an activity um without doing the activity. If you get separated from the context of the thing that you're doing, it's it loses its meaning. Um, so just let's say for example, how do we teach kids how to drive a car when they're 16?
2: Get in the car and drive.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's that simple. It's, and some people would say, well that's common sense. Yeah, yeah, it is. And sure. interestingly enough, since Newton, we've been, again, we've been using inductive and deductive logic, and it works great for looking at the past, mm-hmm. uh, and also for closing down a system. Um, so a lot of this stuff has to do with systems, systems theory, general systems theory, and sure. g- systems in general. Um, but yeah, so, so it's a common sense. Well, what would we do? Well, we would let them drive, and we right. would give them practice, except for, think about our K-12 through education. That's not how we were taught. right? If we were taught uh, how to drive in K through 12 education, it would be sit down, learn the theories, uh, memorize all of the knowledge elements in, in terms of, you know, what a green, light, red light, blue light, whatever light meant this sign, that sign, um, take a, take a written test, write an essay on why you think it's important to follow safety rules. I mean, this is, you know, we, we wouldn't do that, right? but that's how we treat everything else.
2: Yeah. It's, it's such a shame, too, because that sort of thing was just so looked down upon and shunned. And I was lucky enough to be part of like a the journalism program at my high school. Most high schools uh-huh. didn't have a journalism program or anything, but like I sat in front of a prompter and did the newsreader thing, and then I would like did sports broadcasting and would go and call games or sometimes yeah, film yeah. them, and um, that hands-on stuff, like... They have us for 13 years and they give us so precious few hands-on stuff. All the shop class stuff is looked down upon, you know, mm-hmm. it's ostracized. That's funny because it, it, it's a similar problem we have dis- we discovered and get in the car and drive is like a frequent meme on this show.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's um, ironic. I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> and
2: the reason is because when we first got value enabled, so uh-huh. um, now everybody can stream SATs. Through these new podcast apps, newpodcastapps.com. Uh, you can boost the show. Uh, you can even do it live right now, or you can do it forever. And um, a lot of like early pushback on Bitcoin in general, or on just using these newer things, or like how to get the money in the right place, all of these different concerns. Uh, everybody kept coming back to this whole well, I, I need to know a little bit more about it before I use Bitcoin, or before I get a wallet, or before I run a node. And we just uh, kind of stumbled upon that same problem, you know, of how, how, how in the fuck are you going to learn any of this if you don't actually get in the car and drive? If you don't like just set it up, get a wallet, send some Satoshis back and forth, like without participating, you're never going to actually learn about it to the con- to the confidence level that you want. Yeah. And like you're saying just about the car, like what what mechanic could you go to and have them explain a car to you? Like you could go to the best mechanic who's also a great teacher and he still wouldn't be able to teach you anything about how to drive to the gas station and then the grocery store, like what it feels like. That's right. How does, how to break, you know, like how, when the light turns red, how to brake without jerking anybody's head in the car. That's something you have to learn the hard way.
0: That's right. And you yeah, jerk and people's so,
2: head in the car the first time. You know?
0: <laughs> that's exactly right. Aristotle said, for the things we have to learn before we can do them, we learn by doing them. Mm. Many people forget how long it took them to learn something. So this is kind of a, the, it's called the curse of knowledge. And the way you, you as an expert, and so, you know, you, if you've been driving since you're 16 years old and you're, you're in your 30s, you've had a shit ton of hours driving. You're mm-hmm. an expert. Okay. Um, the you didn 't get there overnight. it took you all of those thirty years to be wherever you were or twenty or whatever right um and oh by the way, how you do it now is not how you did it when you first learned it. you, right. you, you had a different schema uh, of perception <laughs> right, yes, and thank goodness right yeah. exactly um you know so there 's all these good things and uh, built into evolution that, you know, we, we protect ourselves from ourselves, and that's a lot of what our cognition is, that, you know, get getting into uh, things like cognitive biases, you know, what, what's a cognitive bias? Well, really, they what we're finding is that they're not biases, they're heuristics, and there's an evolutionary uh, explanation for each of them, and they give us something different, and so one of those things, um, you know, for, for a you know, senior, you know, person teaching, an expert, Um, they very often will not be able to simply break down the thing they know how to do into component parts and explain it. I I don't know how I do it. I just do it, right? Sometimes you hear that. Um, And that's 100% legitimate. Um, The problem, actually, is when we're forced to turn around and use that inductive and deductive logic and start breaking breaking things down into an ordered system or a model, as soon as we do that, we, we start to lose the truth in, in our knowing and doing. Um, and it, it's a strange phenomenon. So it, it's something that's what we're trying to contend with with the AI. And so, um, you know, we've got these uh, cognitive biases and, 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 and maybe, so I'd like, just like to share one with you at least, and there's there's hundreds maybe. And again, these are probably uh, part of our subsystems, either either above sens- sensory or or just below instinct. Okay. Okay. So that's how probably deep and far back they go on a evolutionary you know, chain, but essentially, so one of them, and, and maybe your listeners have heard this, um, it's called the, uh, the gorilla experiment, right? That's the, that's the, the nickname for it. And basically what a group of scientists did is they got together and they said, okay, we want to test people's perception. And so they asked, um, you know, they asked participants, they said, okay, you're going to watch a video and you're going to count how many times uh, the team in the white jerseys pass a basketball back and forth to each other. Okay? Yep. Um, and, and, and so one team was white, the other team was black. So they run the video, everybody's watching, they're counting intensely all the different you know dribbles and passes and stuff, um, and at the end of the video they ask, um, okay, well how many passes did the white team give you? Uh, oh and there 's different answers and stuff like that, and they were looking for um, they were looking for what 's called inattentional blindness um, and they and they found it uh, I, maybe it 's not fair to say they were looking for that but that 's what they found they found what 's called inattentional blindness because at the very last second um, before the experiment was over, a giant black gorilla moves through the entire video, um, stands in front of your face, I think sticks its tongue out, and then walks off Mm-hmm. And um what they found is only about 17% of humans can see, ever see the gorilla the very first time. As a yep. matter of fact, eighty-three percent of humans don't pick up the gorilla. Yep. Um so then the researchers went, whoa, we thought, you know, we thought it was gonna be a few people missed it. And sure. I don't know. They, they they were looking for something else. And they didn't realize there was that big of a disparity. And so then they started, you know, going, well, we, we need to do something else. So the next uh, the next research group they went to were radiologists, and uh, so what they did, and again these these guys and gals were twenty plus year veterans of radiol you know X ray scanners, and they uh, were shown a series of X rays, and at the very very last X ray, uh, the researchers put a gorilla again uh, keeping with theme um, a picture of a gorilla that was forty eight times the size of a cancer nodule, and the almost identical statistic played out again. It's about 83% of the x-ray techs missed the gorilla.
2: <laughs> That's why.
0: Okay? So, and 17% picked it up. I Here's had, the second. I remember that?
2: seeing that uh, gorilla uh-huh. video. I think the first time I ever saw it was at a something to do with scouts. Like at, a sk- at summer camp at scouts, they played that.
0: Yeah, and it, it came out amid 2000s. And at the time, again, we weren't really 100% sure what that meant. Um, it was kind of funny, and what do we do with this? Sure. Well, when they ran that second experiment, they went, oh, no. You know, these were radiologists who were trained in x-ray scanning for cancer, and they missed a gorilla that was 48 times the size of a cancer nodule. So that's pretty scary. And what we found out is that those 17% who did find it, as soon as they talked to the other 83%, convinced themselves that they never saw it. Wow. So that's hmm. the, that's the second crazy phenomenon. So what we're finding is we cal- we heavily calibrate ourselves off of each other, right? And and we know this, you know. I mean, sure. you are aware when someone's looking at you. You are aware of who you're talking to and how you talk to them. Um, and it turns out that human beings have hierarchies, and doesn't matter. You put a group of humans together, and they will form a hierarchy. Yep, and we even if it's not conscious we'll pick up on that back to those perceptual systems we have a system in there that can account for this and we will calibrate ourselves off of that new hierarchy problem is many if you look at the stats if you just put those that 83% and the 17% that's 100 you put 100 people in a room the chances that those 17% of people are any type of dominant people is 17% i mean we don't we don't know how that you know dominance really plays out sure so, if seventeen percent of the people are seeing novel patterns that are life saving but then to get dampened by the majority or the hierarchy we we've got an issue
2: definitely so
0: so that's where this bridge from cognition into AI starts getting really interesting because now we can say okay we've got these biases and and by the way they are they are heuristics um one of those um biases is, uh, you know, so we talk about intentional blindness. The other one has to do with uh, rapid decision making. And specifically, this is where my research came in. So uh, I, I followed a, predece- a predecessor in, in the field. He's kind of the grandfather of it. Um, his name is Dr. Gary Klein. And he came uh, up with a uh, theory called recognition prime decision making. And what he found is, you know, he followed some firefighters around and eventually he did some nurses and soldiers as well. Um, uh, but but he, he started with firefighters. And so he, he was like, okay, I'm going to study decision-making because it's important for business and business leaders and managers need to know this and all this stuff. So he goes and follows firefighters to this fire. They go to the first fire. All the firefighters, you know, jump in the truck, turn the lights on, drive down the road. They get to the fire. Everybody hops out. All the crew knows what they're doing. So the hose team goes and grabs the hose. The ladder team grabs the ladder. And everybody starts to move to fight the fire. The fire chief takes a position where he can see the whole fire scene, and he's on the radio and he's talking. And Dr. Klein is studying everything that's happening, and he's listening, and all of a sudden, um, he, the fire chief gets a phone call over the radio, and somebody in the building says, hey, chief, blah, 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 this is going on. And the fire chief says, get out of the building now. Hmm. And everybody exits the building, and immediately upon the last firefighter's exit, the whole building collapses. And Dr. Gary Klein's stunned. He's saying, whoa, how did you do that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he goes, well... I thought this was what the warehouse fire, you know, ABC warehouse fire yeah. that we had, you know, five years ago. But then when I heard, you know, this, it reminded me of, you know, the schoolhouse fire, one, two, three schoolhouse fire back in, you know, whatever. And we lost three firefighters in that fire. Damn. And Dr. Klein took a step back and went, well, wait a minute. So he started talking with them more. And the more he started to pick up on this pattern, every other time, Right. You know, every other time he had talked to anybody, they had done what every, all of us do, which is we backfill with some logical explanation. Well, you know, what I do is I make sure I, I consider all this and I sure. analyze that and yeah. I make sure I've got this type of plan and blah, blah. No, that's not what any of us do in the here and the now. So, so they started looking at this more and now the cognitive scientists come in and they can measure this stuff. And so here's what happens when we make a decision. Right now, we act. Sure. Your your left brain does a rapid fire of about tw- 20 million synapses uh, a second. Okay, so it's, it is rapid fire, way more than we can fathom, um, and it is picking up all sorts of sensory data. It does this until it sees a pattern match. Okay, so your patterns are developed based off of all of your experiences and memories and uh, culture and other stories you've heard, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it is, it's, it's deep. Mm-hmm. And if, and it looks for the first pattern, it doesn't look for the optimal pattern. It goes for first fit and evolutionarily it makes sense because if you find yourself on the African Savannah and all of a sudden a, you know, giant hairball that's roaring at you comes busting through the bush,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you don't have time to autistically scan the environment, uh, look up references for all the flora and fauna and derive hypotheses of what might actually be coming at you. You'd be dead. Right. So a long time ago, we have figured out you need to act now. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even have to be logical. So what we're finding is that your brain, and this is the abductive logic part, your brain runs a simulation that says what's likely. Well, what's likely is monster and that's where our psychology comes in your brain reduces down the complexity to the perception of danger it mm-hmm. says monster it doesn't you don't even have to know what it is sure you can your brain will fill in all sorts of fangs and you know wings and fire it doesn't matter the <laughs> point is is for you to move right and so you know, and so this is what, we're, what we are grasping with when we're seeing, you know, the old narratives, uh, cave paintings, etc. These are human beings' first attempt at, you know, trying to articulate the patterns out that we experience. And so this is one of those things. So we do a first fit pattern match. If that doesn't work, our left brain shifts over to right brain thinking. And while right brain thinking is the side for all the creative stuff, it's also the heavy analytic side. So the left brain tends to bully the right brain and it controls it a lot. Um, and again, it's why when you take um, uh, like stimulants, like dep- like any type of depressant, depressants lower your left brain uh, and, and it allows your right brain you know dominance over it and so you get all this creativity out of it hmm. um, the problem is it's super slow <laughs> <laughs> um it's like so you know i said left brain fires uh two, 20 million synapses at, at, in a second mm-hmm. right brain only fires 20,000 wow so we're not we're not even talking uh, anywhere close uh, to yes. what your left brain can do
1: like
2: 1% yeah
0: essentially and that's it you can almost consciously scan only about 3 to 5% of the environment Um, interestingly enough, um, if you're Chinese, you can scan uh, roughly double that. Wow. Um, And right now they're the only, they're the only other, you know, culture that we know that has actually higher rates of, you know, right brain scanning. And we think that's because of their language. So if you look at like Han Chinese, Mm -hmm. um, they have, um, one word for several different contexts
1: Hmm.
0: and it forces you to understand contextually The situation, so that you can make sense of the word used, you know, appropriately. So we, in the West, we a lot of our language, we have words specific for context that are embedded in the context, so we don't have to guess or hunt for it. Um, But in their their culture, they do. And so,
2: so if your language is more complicated, then mm. your right brain is like beefed up. Must be fucking nice. Must be fucking nice. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And oh, by the way, yeah, um, your brain. And this is the other interesting thing about your brain, too. Just while we're on, you know, brain differences, um, there are brain differences and there's brain differences based off of people's uh, careers and jobs. And so if you are, uh, you know, into programming, let's say, versus into, you know, physical farming, your brain shapes are different. There's parts of your brains that are amplified and parts that are are, are dampened. Um, your, you and your environment have shaped you over your lifetime. Um, and it is, it was not the, you know, nice supple brain that you started with, but it's stronger in other areas than it is, uh, than it, than it was. And so some people's parts of their brains are actually enlarged. Um, so, and again, we, we think that there's, it's not permanent. The, bl- the brain's plastic. You can reteach yourself things sure, and your brain will change with you. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it, that, that stuff's pretty fascinating, but, but it, it has to do with that, uh, I- embedded cognition, right? And so their, their system requires them really to focus on the context. Um, and it gives them different options. That's the other thing too. It's not just, you know, oh, one's better or one's worse. Um, it gives them different benefits. And so if you don't do your, you know, that right brain firing, if it doesn't find a, pa- a pattern by that point in time, then you get in trouble. So what it's doing in that right brain is it's trying to run simulations of what's possible. Um, not what's probable, but what's possible. Mm. Um, well, crap, nothing's working. Well, I better, I better start fantasizing. And that's essentially what you do. You do quick daydream. I mean, it's quick. But you do a quick daydream until, aha, I got it. That must be the thing. And, th- and people, when they make those types of decisions, that's when they're saying, I don't know. This is what I felt. Sure. So that's the language they'll use. It's not, you know, again, it's not rational. It's I felt cold, and I did this. Totally. Um, I felt like I needed to move that way. Some people talk about it in religious terms. You know, God told
2: me to do this.
1: Sure.
0: Um, uh, Not, not to diminish. You know, somebody who. I'm not saying that God didn't tell those people to do that. I'm sure. just saying,
2: no, yeah, <laughs> for
0: for people that you know, I, I get it. I because at that point, well, what other explanation is it, right? I mean, up right. until now, we're like, what? What is it? I guess God yeah. did tell me to do this. Sure. Um, it's you. You. It's basically there's there's an attractor, right? And so you went, ah, I just I did this thing and it wasn't rational. Yeah, that's because you're not using the rational part of your brain yet.
2: Um, so at it, the at the risk of like oversimplifying the whole uh-huh. thing. Um. would you say the biggest gap between us and computers is like computers think and we think and feel?
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, yeah, thinking if, if we're talking about thinking in terms of rationality, then yes, we share that with computers because we've programmed them to do uh, inductive reasoning. Sure. Um. Again, they're, they're just as bad as predicting things as we are. Um, with, because it's inductive logic is the problem, not, uh, us or the computer. Sure. But yeah, no, you're right. And, and, and that's the other thing too, is that we are getting, we are also the sensory input. The computer has to have inputs.
2: Right.
1: But,
0: but we also are our own input. And this is what's so weird or freaky about it is, you know, we calibrate off of each other, but we also calibrate off our own self. Right. And this is where you can get into some really, you know, uh, Really terrible feedback loops. There can be some short circuiting of those systems, and you can get you you know there's possibility of psychosis. There, people can talk themselves into things like psychosis, um, and it's not rational. Again, there's it's not a logical system. Um, there are it's it's evolved for very specific reasons. Um, so, and by the way, uh, perceptual language. Um, this is what's called uh, what what separates us from everything else is actually what's called conceptual blending and conceptual blending is our ability to create abstract uh, concepts that aren't real. Um, So what we can do is we can create like right now, me, Lorian, you, we're all three in this room. Yeah. But right now there's also this fourth, um, bigger us, right? It's all of us together on this podcast right now. And you know, that co-creation between what this podcast is, this specific episode, is now this abstract concept. And so it, it, it can have a life of its own. It can have feelings, you know, what, what, you know, what, what do we think it's, it's thinking right now? What do we think it's doing? It can, we can you know, anthropomorphize things into it. Um, and as a matter of fact, this is where it comes from. We, we're pretty sure the very first cave paintings, um, something happened at about 70,000 years ago and people could start doing this and because before we can look at the tool sets and almost for 800,000 years man was using the same tool sets but at 70,000 years ago all of a sudden we had conceptual blending and now we could see things like faces into rocks or the man in the moon we could create a literal construct that is not real it's a figment of our imagination but it's a powerful tool because now it gives us the ability to um, do things like math. I can abstract that out. And now I can hold this concept over here without having it hold my conscious attention or working memory. I can do two, two things at once. It gives us the ability to multitask, um, for, for all of those, uh, you know, very productive people out there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My wife's one of them. She's like, Oh What's yeah, that's that what like? she's really strong at that. Holy smokes. Um, I'm the opposite direction. I'm like the man in the moon guy. Like let's look at these pretty pictures. Definitely. Um,
1: <laughs> I, I can feel that. You know, but,
0: you know, so, so yeah, so it, 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 you know, it, it gives us that, that's really the big thing is that we can do conceptual blending. Um, and the computer can't until maybe we figure out how to stimulate it to see, that's the thing that we're working on now is we're using abductive logic and we're saying, okay, remember those 17 people that saw the gorilla. Sure. Okay. And, and by the way, there's one other fascinating aspect here. Um, every single person who they tested who was autistic all of them saw the gorilla. Right? Nice. so if you think if you think back to the you know first fit pattern match we're, we're p- picking up you know 20 million synapses at a time that's 20 million data points in the environment. Right. Well, everything you could think of all those senses touch smell taste a barometric p- pressure things you're not even conscious of but your body picks up on all that's coming in. Well people who are autistic can pull a lot more of that in into their conscious working memory. So so what we're fo- but and that's also a flaw, right? Cuz think back to the lion. Right. If you can't quickly come up with something that's good enough, you're going to get eaten. So people who are autistic have a difficult time focusing and also have a difficult time with, you know, timely decisions. And so we think what's happening is is that l- that part of their brain is either it, we think it's dampened, something's dampened it, but it gives them this other weird ability.
1: Interesting. Where now
0: they're picking up ton of sensory data where we, me and you, can only in our right brain scan about three to 5% of the available data in the environment. They're picking up hundreds, maybe thousands.
2: Nice. So, so
0: I've
1: when always, we think, uh,
2: yeah. like, I, I've always felt with, um, Like, psychedelics that... And Uh I don't really know, the like, any research behind this. It's just kind of, like, another feeling, like you're talking about. But, like, that... Like you're saying, we pick up way more than we could ever, like, have the bandwidth to perceive. Mm -hmm. And there's some sort of a filtration system that goes on. Some kind of a decision maker that decides, all right, well, this is the stuff that's important to me and that actually matters. And so, like, Mm -hmm. even though I can hear dogs barking two blocks away, I don't always because i may be focused on a task and i can exactly. also hear closer things to me like i can be yep. talking to you and i'm not going to hear something far away because i'm focused on this
0: that's right so any and i'm sure you've been you know slept over at somebody's house before that wasn't your house and you heard all sorts of you know noises sure like basic oh, noises yeah. creakings of things or insects or whatever um Nobody in that house that lives there is bothered by any of those noises. They right. they have they have normalized that for themselves, or in another term, calibrated to that environment. Um, where it, whereas you haven't, um, sure. so that's one of the things that we would do in the army. And so when we would go out on patrol at night, it was nighttime. So one, we let our eyes calibrate to the darkness, and all of the cones and rods change over uh, as light changes, and eventually you start getting a lot more uh, rod. Uh, movement, light, the rods see movement and your cones pick up color and so at night we can't see because there's no light so we can but we can detect movement so we we would stop and look, listen, smell, Uh, we called it a seal's halt but that's what we were doing we were calibrating ourselves to a new environment um, and that allows us to pick up on sensory data that you know it it isn't conscious and it it really is down to that level you're hearing little things you're smelling things Um, these are all sensory data so what we're what we're interested in is going okay. So if, if we filter, and that, that's great. You mentioned that because that, that's part of the issue here is that we do this naturally. Mm-hmm. We have to filter to survive. These are these are our heuristics that our bodies have and brains have developed as survival mechanisms. And so when we when we look at it from those terms, not a bias but a heuristic, we can start to see a new way of looking at this possibility of using uh, sensory data to pick up on things that we normally couldn't see before. So for example, um, we talked about how that 17% as soon as they started talking to the 83% changed their mind. They, they either socially wouldn't say that they saw it or really did convince themselves no it wasn't there, that gorilla. right? And so what, what that means is we calibrate at each of those levels embodied, embedded, enacted, and extended. We calibrate simultaneously on all of those uh, cognitive levels. Socially uh, is the extended part. It's language, it's culture, but we are calibrated to our culture. Um, We're calibrated to our our habits, um, our languages. These things shape us. And so if you're not, the, the lesson of the gorilla is if you are not ready to see that, you won't. Gotcha. You have to be primed to see it. And this is what Dr. Gary Klein's work about, you know, rapid decision making. There is a priming mechanism that has to be there. And so if, if you don't have that, uh, if you're not expecting to see something, um, then you're not going to see it. And and there are cultural things um, that are differences. You can go to other countries and there are things that you will not pick up on until you've lived there for a while. I, uh, Me and my wife, we lived in Italy for four years and so, of course, you know, about six months into any type of long term, you know, uh, staycation, uh, you know, you, you start missing parts of your home. But eventually you start, you know, seeing all sorts of, uh, of new patterns. And, and that's about the point where it, it gets rough because there is a lot of differences in the cultures. And oh, by the way, you're, you're hyper aware of how different everything is by that time. Um right. it, it, It's overwhelming. And it not, it's not until, you know, three or four years in that we lived overseas that we really started to feel like, okay, I know the flow. I know people's rhythms. They have different mannerisms and habits slightly. It's ever so slightly. But we're hyper sensitive to those calibrations. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think the, the thing here is that there's this massive opportunity to do a shift. And this is where the technology comes in. So we've got this AI thing. And we know that if we calibrate off of each other socially in our environment, mm-hmm. and we know that there are only so many people that are picking up on this sensory data, the question is, is how do we filter? Um, well, one, we filter cognitively, and we just kind of talked about that, right? I mean, your, sure. your left brain fires, your right brain fires. If that doesn't work, it goes down in your limbic system, and then eventually it gets into like fight, flight, flight. Or freeze mode, right? I mean, if you if you literally can't process what's happening, your brain will keep shoving down the control further and further until you get to your lizard brain. Sure, um, it's it's an old survival mechanism to try to to, to try to override you um, for for your own survival because uh, something's not working. So um, if that doesn't work, you know, so that's your first filtering system. Now let's say okay, we live, we you know run away from the lion. Now how do we start talking about it? Well, the very first thing we did as human beings is we started uh, doing things like dancing. Gotcha. Okay? So yeah. art, if you think of art, uh, art is the first medium of interpretation. And that's the first point in will- which we filter. Because remember, we just talked about we had all these diff- different sensory information. Like you just talked about like, the fe- you know, earlier, the feeling of the car and-, and jerking. Right. Well, how do I draw that in art? So you see right there automatically it becomes difficult to start talking about how things felt physically. Sure. So we try to abstract it.
2: Got to act, uh, it, we, out and act
0: it out. We act it out. We dance. We tell it. And that's the second part. So first there was art. And we think that there was, you know, um, dancing, paintings, um, and even music. We're pretty sure we, we really picked up on rhythmic patterns. So we're like, yep, okay, we got art. Well, what's the next one? It's narrative. Okay. So what we're doing now is we're saying, okay, so you're telling a story. Um, by the way, all the good stories, every story, really, every good story is a negative one. And there's a whole list of reasons, uh, why stories need to be negative and not positive, uh, to be meaningful. Hmm. Um, but if you think about any of our, you know, childhood stories, you know, Hansel and Gretel goes into the woods, um, you know, you, you don't talk about Hansel and Gretel staying at home and listening to what mom and dad said about being good and, right. uh, you know, writing uh, writing in their diary and then, uh, you know, saying their little Bible prayers before they go to bed. That's not
2: sure. <laughs> it's not a,
0: it's a boring
2: story. It's got to be some kind of conflict. To drive That's
0: right. It's got to be some tension involved. and There's sure. got to be some mistakes made and all this other stuff. And so, yeah. And so our so our very first, you know, thing that we are currently looking at is, is narrative. And this is another thing that I think is really relevant for today. Uh, we are in a narrative landscape, and, and people are, you know, searching right now, well, what's true, what's my anchor? Um, and it's really a bunch of competing narratives out there. And, and we, we have all of these. Some of them are personal narratives that we run in our head, but a lot. some of these are societal narratives. Um, you know, what, what's good and bad, and, um, you know, it goes pretty deep. But these narratives have some type of pattern in them. Um, and I would even venture to say like a lot of the memes, right? Like, you know, memetics, I know that was one of the big things with Richard Dawkins. He thought it was like a a virus, right? He's the guy that came up with meme. Sure. Um, really it's, 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 you know, I, I don't agree with that. I think actually it's the, the core of it is, is, is a narrative. Um, and essentially there is a ton of data points and narratives. Um, what they're finding out like in Singapore right now. Is the Singapore, Singaporeese, I, I'm sure there's an actual right way to say their government, um, their government is uh, using an AI technology to have everyone, uh, it's not blogging, but it's essentially you're logging, you're, log your story for today. Well, I came, you know, I got on the subway and I was trying to go over here and I got to the turnstile and this happened. And, you know, then I got on, I met my friend and I got to my destination and I got it, you know, it was 10 minutes, blah, blah, Oh my gosh, that's, that has millions of data points in it. Because what we can do now is we can, if we have everyone doing this, we're crowdsourcing this data. Okay. And we can use abductive reasoning with the AI to start mapping that data to find cluster points that we can't see as humans. So, so this is where we're heading as a world. Um, and it has to do with this fact that we're picking up all these data points, we are processing them through, through all of our filters, and the further we make them explicit, the more filtering we do. So as we get away from narrative, we start talking about all of that deductive. Uh, well, we, then we get into language, sure, um, and, and and language gets a little deeper to the narrative, although they're they're interlinked there. But the other big thing is um, it, it's now we're talking about um, things like written languages because those require uh, higher knowledge structure or knowledge hierarchies. Uh, we start talking about um, other types of abstracted reasoning, math. The, these are even less data points in there. So the further you get away from the, the embodied cognition, all the way out to things like mathematics, mathematics are, are pretty static. Sure. They don't really mean anything, really. All they're, all, they all are, are, are conceptual blending tool. It's our most efficient conceptual blending tool. We just put it on the table, we use it as we need it. It doesn't mean anything to us. Um, so what we wanna do is quick, we need to get away from that. And that's what my research is looking at right now. Um, you know, I, I did some research on human decision-making, like I said, under, uh, you know, right after Dr. Gary Klein, and now we're looking at, okay, you've got this narrative landscape where you can pull all these data points from, and before we didn't have any way to do that. Um, so there's this, ep- yeah.
2: If if I can kind of clarify or um, kind of seek the direction that this uh-huh. is moving, um, so We have a tremendous amount of data and input and even sensory input as human beings. Uh Most of that is filtered out uh, just for us to be able to react to it in real time. That's exactly right. Then it's filtered again when we have to recount it or retell it to somebody else. And it's Uh filtered again when we have to learn from it in the future, in a future decision. And so... Exactly. Are these... um, Is the direction we're trying to go just to try to, like, unfilter this data and... Exactly. and, And... Basically, have that much more to glean from?
0: Yes. So, you know, any social scientist, and this might piss off some other, you know, people who have other humanities, uh, you know, backgrounds, but um, any social scientist knows that they'll never get enough data points to ever have any type of uh, uh, good hypothesis about anything. All of their conclusions are shit. Sure. And we know this. We're grasping at straws. We don't know what the hell we're doing, but it's the best we have. And that's essentially been our attitude up until this point, because again, you know, I, I've got a handful of friends that are artistic and they're, you know, love the guys to death, but they at some point wear you down because they don't know how to filter. Sure. Um, or they do, I mean, they, they're filtering, but they're not filtering the degree we are. We're hyper filtering. Um, sure. they're not. And, uh, they have hard time holding focus they have a hard time uh, they also a lot of times have other sensory issues too right I mean it's it, because again they're pulling a ton of data right. from the environment It's <laughs> their their brains fully open um, so so w- what we're looking at is saying okay you know we've got all these problems we have got all these problems with calibrating and filtering uh, between people um, and you can even think about this right you know like all of the the talk about diversity um, diversity in terms of sociology is so, so rudimentary. It's not even, we're not even close to talking about what the real diversity is and that's actually neurodiversity. Um, we haven't even begun to start figuring out how many different types of brains there are. Um, and which is the cool thing to me because it really, I guess it brings back home to me the, you know, that people are individuals. Um, uh, and, but we're individuals and in groups too and I think this is the other uh, aspect that I've had to kind of you know uh, incorporate into my own understanding of this is is that we can't be separated from our group uh, as humans we are um, you know we are social creatures um, and we have calibrated off of each other for millennia um, so we can't just separate us from each other we're part of our perceptual systems um, and we might even be uh, part of our cognitive systems. Uh, that's what a lot of uh, a lot of the folks that are looking at uh, Embedded cognition are, are, are getting down into is that we offload a lot of our cognition onto the environment um, Memory isn't stored in the brain. It's it's looking like it's actually inside the environment itself um, Which would make sense because our our theoretically our brains are infinite. They sure. can, we can have infinite number of memories um, and also makes sense because you can't cut somebody's brain open and find Beethoven's, you know, Sixth Symphony. It's right. not in there. It's not where it exists. Um, so so I think what we're looking at with the AI is, is uh, we're taking a few things into consideration. Number one, we now have the technology for the connectiveness, right? The Internet of Things. Everyone can now talk to each other, uh, and everyone can have their platform. Um, now, in, you know, the early... 21st century everyone having their platform like you know that doesn't go so well um (laughs) right for some people some people it goes great some people it doesn't go great yeah um we we you know it 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 upset a lot of the traditional media monopoly uh that that, that the the corporate media had uh now we can tune into anything right so that i like that aspect that's great absolutely yeah um, you know, and uh, we probably wouldn't have this podcast without that. So, Hey, there we go. You Correct. know, already yeah. we're getting, uh, different ideas and perspectives, by the way, I don't think the boomers ever would have been able to handle any type of conversation like this and not because they're, you know, Oh, they're, they're dumb or they were subhuman. Um,
2: <laughs> it's just the filter was turned way higher. Even then. that's right. Uh, that's, that's right. hilarious because we were, um, we just got our new vehicle over the weekend. And we were sitting, uh, my dad and I were at the dealership. He drove me out there so that uh, I could drive back in the car. And somehow the discussion came up with the show and everything. And then it turned to like um, the weed legalization and, and just yeah, the yeah. weed moving in general. And, you know, the guy was telling me like how he started smoking back in the day and why and that it helped him out. You know, he was uh, yeah, yeah, recovering from uh, several surgeries he had to have and. He found it helped a lot more than the opiates, and then my dad was just kind of like, "Damn, we never could have like talked like this when we were kids, you know?" Like, right? Because uh, we always had to like keep it on the low, or like pretend, or like be somebody else, you know? When it comes to yeah, to Bad or filter just just with the weed thing. So yeah, it is kind of crazy how that's um, it, we just live in a totally different world where like the acceptable boundaries of conversation, or even uh-huh. of even of thought, like. You know, you you'd feel guilty back then, even even thinking of this kind of stuff. You know,
0: right? Or right. or next... you
2: wouldn't feel guilt, but you, but just by uh just by nature of doing that, you would be like a rebel or some kind of radical right. or outcast. You yeah.
0: Know? And in humans, we want to be with the with the herd. Yep. We Want to be with the tribe because if you stick out of the tribe. You're, you're, you're going to draw danger. You're going to probably get killed or somebody else killed, right? Yep. I mean, think think about this. And I think this is where we have to come from. At least like, this is where I come from. And I say, okay, you know, I'm not saying it's the right answer or it was or is ever the right answer. But trying to understand and gives people some, you know, some space and say, okay, hey, everyone is operating based on the environment that they're in. We, we You can't not be in your environment. And your environment shapes you. Um, it limits what you can and can't do, um, and so it's this is this is I think you know in my mind the long march of humanity. We are starting now to come out uh, of this industrial age, um, of the age of reason, and for all of the things that it gave us, you know the industrial evolution, all of the science, you know for you know our, our modern physics that we we have used now to springboard to quantum mechanics, um, you know all of the health and medicine. Hey, that's been great, but yeah. for every positive look, we can find negatives too. Right, and this is what we're learning: sure. is that, that part of this, this has been toxic for us, and I mean that in a physical way. Like I say, for all of the health, yeah, but now we're also, you know, we're drugged out. We're yeah. opi- the ton of op- opioids. The medical systems are reaching a pinnacle where they they can't support. It can't keep doing this. Um, and this is back to that. You know, like I'll just say the doctors. You know, if you go into a doctor right now, they are, they're looking for mass and volume. So they're going to see you and they're going to talk to you for 10 minutes and kick you out the door or uh, reference you to a specialist. So then you get, you know, you're going to get stuck in the system somewhere else and have to get another charge. And then what ends up happening is they just go through a procedural checklist because they don't have time to look at you. They don't have time to ask you who you are, what Mm -hmm. you like to do. How are you feeling? They don't have time to ask that. They're down now to a business procedure to diagnose you for the output to be some type of drug or, you know, extended, uh, some other type of extended service. Sure. So that's, that's from uh, continual process improvement. If you're looking at everything from the business lens, how medicine is, yes, this is a, it's, and I'll tell you what next they're going to do. I mean, this is a, a repeatable pattern uh, and this whole theory um, or, or culture it has captured all of our institutions. Um, they, they are going to manage us into the ground because he, because it's, it actually has to do with what's called Ashby's Law. And, it, and it's, it's physics. It's quantum mechanics. It has to do with thermodynamics and Ashby's Law. So basically, any type of closed system will eventually degenerate. Um, the system needs variety. It needs injects into it that are fresh and new in order for it to continue and burn the energy. And so what Ashby's law looks at and says, look, whatever whatever environment you're creating, okay, whether it's AI or healthcare or a whole economy or your local neighborhood and your park, you need to look at what are the energy requirements of that system? What are the variety? And if you don't match that variety with your new constraints, it's going to it's it, it's going to fall apart. You're going to over constrain it. Sure. Um, And then there's going to be unwanted behavior that you can't predict. Uh, Those are complex adaptive environments. Um, And so really this gets into um, some of the other uh, work with naturalized sense making. So uh, Dr. Dave Snowden, um, who was in charge of uh, IBM's research and development for decades, at least since the 1980s, um, developed a framework called the Kenevan Framework. It's it's a Welsh word uh, meaning... Um, from the many places of your belonging. And essentially what it is, is it's a new way to look at the environment that you're in and, and you know, ask yourself, what type of environment am, am I in? Um, and there are different systems. There are ordered systems and disordered systems. Um, what Newtonian physics does and what inductive and deductive reasoning do is they try to reduce everything to a simple system. That's its strength. So if I can treat something as a closed system, I could diagnose the cause and effect relationship of everything inside that system. So that's, that's the scientific method. Okay. So the scientific method says I prefer everything to be ordered. Well, nature has a vote. Not everything is ordered. Some things are complex and adaptive meaning that when I act on the system, I might get, I will always, excuse me, I will always get a secondary effect that is unpredictable. There will be something on the other end of the system that moves, and this has to do with quantum mechanics. If you ever get a chance to look into uh, entangled trios, it's it's actually how the quarks, uh, which are subcomponents of atoms, quarks actually form up into threes, and they form a trivalent bond, and as you ha- as different pressure touches them they act in wildly different ways each time. Hmm. We don't we this it's not an ordered system.
2: Just totally unpredictable.
0: That's right, but they they stay in threes. So there's a pattern there. They're bonded somehow and this is entanglement by the way. We hmm. don't know how they're bonded, but and we we probably will never know because our perceptual level will never be able to pick up that level of fidelity. So instead of trying to do what, you know, Newtonian physics did, which was break everything down into component parts. We just let the entangled trios of quarks be. We start treating that as the entity, okay? So this really starts again, um, I think there's these concepts now, um, like Joe Saladin, you know, when he he started looking at uh, permaculture, right? Okay, so this idea is called rewilding. Right. Okay, and it comes from, and it's it's a bigger. He he did it, his his idea is permaculture, but it's under this umbrella term now that's called rewilding, uh, yeah. br- bringing back the wild. Right, and it and a lot of people are starting to look at what just happened with um uh, the uh, apex predators in uh, Yellowstone, the wolves. Mm-hmm. Right. So what they found out was so here's here's another fun interesting thing about calibration. Okay everything calibrates off the apex predator in a uh in a ecosystem right um everything so you know if you introduce a new predator that's actually what forces all of the evolutionary pressure into a into an ecosystem sure um if you if you uh, you know terraform an area you know let's say you're fracking and you blow the top of a mountain off um that's going to change the ecology up there and if it changes the ecology, the environment so much that now that apex predator can't do what it does, it will die off or move away and a new one will form. Mm-hmm. Um, the other interesting thing about this apex predator theory is they're starting to find that there's at least two other sub what they call like sub, subliminal pre, uh, predator or something. It's, it's essentially a, a subordinate predator. They're okay. not the apex one, but they're like they're coequal with another one and they're just below it. Um, in this case, it was the beaver. So in Yellowstone, the beaver was one of the entangled trios from this wolf. And the the wolf didn't have the right type of food because the beavers weren't there. The beavers were blocking up the rivers, creating... Marshes and, and backwater titles, and it was creating this whole other you know micro ecosystem that was then feeding some of the other land animals that then fed the wolf. So without the without uh, the sure. uh, beaver, they couldn't have the wolf there. So they kept just trying to shove the wolf back into the environment. It wasn't working. Gotcha. And that's not how ecosystems work.
2: Right. It's, it's bigger this than just a single imp- input.
0: That's right. And so that's that's where right now we're looking at me- meshing up ecosystems, thinking with artificial intelligence and humans. And this is where it gets back to, you know, the question of, okay, so what's what's the idea? We've got more sensory data? Right. Yeah. Now that we know how humans behave, we're, we're rascals. We're going to do all sorts of weird calibration stuff, okay? Um, and uh, that's great for a lot of times until it's not. Instead, now what we can do is we can just have people talk like like what we're doing. I mean, this could literally be a, another part of the data lake, right? That gets pulled in by the AI. We're, we're telling stories. We've got narratives involved in this conversation. Right. Um, you know, this is stuff that's going to get pulled in or could get pulled in. And, and, may, and by the way, another topic, ethics. Um, that's something we should come back to, okay. AI ethics and, and all that stuff. But um, yeah, so, so what we're doing right now is we're looking at, um, we're looking at, you know, Ashby's Law of Systems. We're looking at treating systems as if they are a a biological system, an ecology, an entanglement. Um, These are the types of things we're looking at. And then what we're doing is we're able to have you tell your story. Just talk. And this is what they're finding out. So Dave Snowden did some research for DARPA back in the 1980s. Gotcha. One of the things that they did was in the past, let's say they had a national emergency. you know, some type of military crisis uh, in the 1991 invasion of Iraq or desert storm. The first time they had Saddam had some anthrax and the president got involved and they had this big meeting and they had to figure out, like, bring all the scientists from MIT in. And, you know, you, you think of like Independence Day or like Godzilla and, sure. you know, assemble the team they're and all the these situation guys. Situation yeah, Exactly right. Well, that's a real thing. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, they they bring in all sorts of subject matter experts from everywhere. And they're like, all right, here's the problem. Solve it. Blah, blah, blah. Well, they did that for, for, you know, something like, uh, you know, Saddam and his anthrax. And what happened was, is they found this anthrax site. They discovered that it wasn't moved. No one was moving it because um, they had surveillance on it the whole time. And so they knew that they couldn't just send in a special forces team, a ground team, because uh, then, you know, they could get killed by anthrax. So that wouldn't be good. And we know we can't just bomb it because it's, you know, it's going to shoot anthrax all over the place. That's not good. So like, how do we how do we neutralize this? Right. And so they like bring in a bunch of Air Force guys. And they're like, all right, we've got these B-1 Lancers. We figured out that if you take two of them together and equal their thrust, it'll incinerate the anthrax inside this building. Huh. And so they were like okay shit I guess this is it. So they get it together, they fly over this building, throw their afterburners on, all all fly off and all the ground teams are looking and there's like a bunch of sheep and stuff and goats outside cuz they're trying to hide this inside of like a farm area. Okay. And um none of the sheep or goats are dead. So that's a good sign. It means that it didn't, you know, explode and kill them. Sure. So then like, you know, four or five days later, they finally get the special forces ground team to go in and it's gone. They moved huh. it. They don't know where it went. Shit. So like they did all this work. Right. They f- flew the mission, whatever they afterburned wasn't an anthrax because it was already out of there. Huh. So what they did at that point is they said, okay, something's not working here. We're not fast enough. Right. Cause like they just like out us. They just did it quicker than we could react. And if we would have had more time yeah, well, we've got everybody that's literally the expert everywhere. So how do we get faster? Sure. Well, so then they they took a step back and they started doing some other research because getting faster in this system doesn't work. We're, we've are
1: we peaked. Right. Okay? And
0: There's that's no the that's,
2: way to be faster. Than, that's right. Like, the immediate...
0: That's right. We've peaked in this, and that's why Amazon will continue to con- keep keep being more draconian, and eventually their system will collapse. And it's the same thing for every you know deductive and inductive system. Sure, we treat it like that; it'll eventually close itself down and it'll collapse. And so you'll get so efficient, you'll burn the energy out of it. So you have to have more variety in the system. So what they did was they took a step back and they 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 had a they waited till another case like this happened. And if you can think back to the gorilla experiment with like you know the eighty three percent, the seventeen percent they wanted to control for this bias because they thought one of the things that might be happening is that everybody in this situation room was calibrating off of each other. And in fact, they were right now, our research shows, they were the whole time. Of course they were right. Um, so what they did was they did two, two research groups and one was all together and the others were all separate. And each of those participants were separate in that group. So like there was one group that no one could see each other and there was another group where they all could see each other and could talk. And the scenario is a real world scenario. And it was a U.S. submarine had uh, sunk off the coast of uh, what they thought was Brazil. The last place that they had picked it up was Argentina. It was moving north along the coast. It was running at this rate. Uh, it was doing these things. And then this is when we lost contact. And we can deduce that it's either, you know, it could be based off of their fuel, could be all the way from here to here, etc. We think they have this much food and oxygen left. Here's the scenario. Go to it. And of course, the group that's made up of all of the collective people did their thing and they gave their, they gave their estimate and the other group, they all took their individual estimates and they did something interesting. So in the collective group, they found out that the distribution between all of the answers fell along a Gaussian curve. So everyone's seen a bell curve. Sure. Okay. And a Gaussian curve. Okay, The mean in the middle there, the, the average of all of those responses, usually falls somewhere in the middle of the Gaussian curve. As a matter of fact, that's the apex of the of the curve. The curve is normalized. It takes all of those answers and says, you know, it averages them out. Um, what they're finding out was that they are scarily more accurate with the group of isolated individuals. Hmm. And they knew how to do this, um, because of some old research and the old research had to do with the same type of premise. It was 30, you know, cattle ranchers in a room and then, you know, another 30 cattle ranchers by themselves. And what they found was, is that, you know, the cattle ranchers had to guess what the weight of this cow was at auction. And they were like 50 pounds off of like, you know, a 350 pound cow, like, okay, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. that that's about as best as we can do. Cause each of these guys are like, you know, veteran r- cattle ranchers. Sure. Except what they found out was as soon as they took these other cattle ranchers and they put their answers on a Prado distribution, they were like ounces off. Holy shit. Okay. So, so Dave Snowden used this, uh, when he was again with IBM and working for DARPA, he used this with this, um, submarine problem. And when he took all of the individual answers and put it on a Prado distribution, They were six meters off from the submarine. Whoa. The other group was like 300 miles. God. Wow. Okay. So that's just And they found uh, these guys.
2: The group filtration error, essentially, or something?
0: Well, here's another weird thing. So you think about that. So hang on. And by the way, the the group of individuals, and this is where it gets spooky, because the group of individuals never talked to each other, and they had some wild answers. Uh They had anywhere from- you know, Japan to, you know, I, the moon. I don't know. It was it was something crazy, right? These people sure. had radically wild answers. But something weird happens is when you aggregate it out enough, it somehow triangulates things. Hmm. We don't know how it works. We just know that if you take, if you distribute people and you get enough of them and you throw that on a Pareto distribution and you ask a question, you can get a pinpointed answer.
2: So, tell me more about this Pareto distribution. What exactly is that?
0: Yeah, so it comes from economics, um, which is weird because again, now we're like you know social science and cognition and all this other stuff. But what they're doing, what basically what it was trying to do, is explain market behavior and also productivity behavior. So essentially, what it says is eighty percent of the output of a system is done by twenty percent of the input. So,
1: gotcha. sure.
0: um, you know, like uh, research PhDs. If you look at all of the body of research that's out there, like twenty percent of PhDs are producing eighty percent of the research. Right. I mean, this 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 distribution. Twenty percent of the economy, you know, eighty percent of the economy is 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 propped up by twenty percent of the workers. I mean, these are these are factual, statistical, repeatable things we can see. It's a pattern. It's due to
2: systemic racism.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah, and and again, you know, look, there's all sorts of wicked cultural stuff. but uh you know i will say that there's a lot of weird nature stuff too sure and and that's that's th- this this is the stuff that has to get understood because i think we've been spending a lot of time playing around with like identity and and i get it like back to the you know deductive and inductive logic we can look backwards and we can create identities and there can be an infinite number of patterns back there sure um which is why like a lot of the, all this you know a lot of the social movement stuff today is is just going to keep going? Why? Because because it's not being stopped. I mean, I think <laughs> I yeah. think that's part of, like okay, just stop. Like this is stop doing this. Going. This is not worth our energy and effort to pay attention to this. I think that's the thing. It's not you know. Sure. Obviously, I think people can't. Some people can't stop what they're doing, but the rest of us don't have to watch. Right. <laughs> I think you know. it's the idea. Sure. It's just, well, Maybe there's other more important things to be doing. than that so anyway yeah so so that's that's what they're looking at so so they figured this out they're like wait a minute all these this is something spooky here because it's essentially like kind of like a magic eight ball like if you if you create this condition you shake it up you ask it a question you're gonna get a response sure so with that in mind what we're looking at now with the AI thing is and this is back to the narrative so I essentially am able to distribute my questions to the collective like if I get, you know, like uh, like I said, Indonesia is doing this with their railway system right now. And what they're finding is they're, they were asking stupid questions like, how was your service and how was this terminal? And like, what do I do with that? Right. How was it? Fine. Good. I don't know. I don't, I'm not a terminal expert. I'm not, I'm not qualified to answer this question. Seven
2: you, out of 10. You,
0: seven out of 10. Right. What does it, what does any of that mean? So, so, and we know, and this is the other thing too, just from my background as an analyst is data is retarded. I mean, yep. it just is. It's it's like it. What it just is everywhere, and the and in you know, people think and maybe it's leaders, managers, managers think that oh, you just get the data; it's going to tell you what to do. That's yes. not how it works, right? Um, it, it, that that's another way computers are not like us. It cannot interpret meaning. Um, only we can do that. Gotcha. Um, and so that's what we're doing with the AI now is we're saying, okay, you've got these patterns and you've got these narratives. And they already tried it a little bit with special forces soldiers in Afghanistan. Instead of giving official reports to their bosses, right, they have like a commander and they have to give a report. Well, when they do that, they have to use all this official language. And they have to also like filter again culturally. Um, And so, you know, you wouldn't tell your commander, you know, Colonel Humpty Frump, you wouldn't say, you know, well, we woke up today and I brushed my teeth and we went outside and, you know, there was, you know, there was Muhammad again. And, you know he's just a young kid and we, we threw more you know bottles of water at him or something and then he you know flipped us off and blah blah you're not gonna say all that right right Right? and half of that shit isn't even actually gonna mean anything right but all of a sudden what they were finding out is you know okay get these get these leaders to just like journal just daily keep a log going no more official reports just just log talk what they're finding is that there was all these patterns emerging if they compared all the logs together Um, That they couldn't see before it's back to the gorilla. They weren't culturally primed to see What you know that young boy coming out of his his house in the morning meant and how one morning? He didn't do it and no one even picked it up,
1: Mm. but that
0: it actually had another causal relationship with something else It kind of gets into the butterfly effect stuff too. This is where a, a lot of people think this might be going which is, you know, could could we eventually see the cause, you know, the actual chain reaction type stuff? This bumps into this, bumps into this. Um, but picked, essentially, uh, that's what
2: that's pick, what we're doing. We pick like the perfect time to start binging Lost. <laughs> I think.
0: Yeah, well, that's the funny thing. A lot of this, seeing the cultural stuff, this a lot of this cultural stuff, this narrative stuff is deep in there. It's yeah. in our stories. Like we don't sure. know how to talk about it. We don't even know what they mean until maybe later, mm. right? Like a lot of early. Weak signal detection comes from art. Uh, uh, what they're doing now with, um, like, Ukrainian refugees, uh, the European Union is looking at doing the same type of technology, this AI, um, narrative AI, where you, you know, tell me your stories and stuff, but they're also looking at art. So you you mentioned this earlier, like, what's this IA art thing?
2: Yeah, well, okay, I, well I found, I found right the na- one I was mentioning, too. Uh-huh. Chat GPT is what I was talking about, which is... Okay it is a chat bot and essentially you can just um ask it to give you like a set of instructions like i guess uh-huh, uh yeah. um, coders have used it and uh like surgeons too like that it it was like scary accurate of just giving you like actually a step-by-step on how to do like pretty complicated yeah shit.
0: And, and that's and again i know this kind of sounds a little wild but um that is the easier stuff to do because what it's doing, again, it's using deduction and it's looking at knowledge structures. Right. And if, and if we have a body of knowledge on something, we've already atomized it. We've already broken it down into sure. its component parts. Um, and sometimes we haven't done that fully yet. So, hey, we there's a new body of knowledge. Well, that's the process of decomposing that body over time is breaking it down into further, further parts so that we can see relationships and we can get better fidelity on it um and that will continue to to accelerate. Okay. So that that's the other cool thing about this is it's about ready AI can now rapidly map knowledge frameworks. That's what it's called a knowledge framework. And it can rapidly map that. Um but that's still business as usual for since, you know, the enlightenment, since empiricism. Right. And so what we're looking at now is going, all right, I don't want deductive and inductive reasoning. I want abductive reasoning. I want to mirror what it is that humans are doing when we make decisions. Gotcha. I, it, so this is decision-making. This is no longer conceptual analysis. And so now we're looking at things like uh, hierarchical or clustering So mm-hmm. what we do is we take these data points. So you can imagine, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are just talking. And the AI picks up on these patterns. And it does it by taking all of these different data points that it sees as similar and then putting it on what's called a hexagonal clustering map. And that it's a, it's a dispositional type of map, uh, or it becomes dispositional. It's a, hexagon, a hexagonal map that allows us to put data points in close proximity to each other based off of length. And length gives us relation, relational meaning. So if you think of like relative physics, like where are you at in the universe? Where am I at? Well, it depends. You know, we got to have another object that we compare ourselves to. Well, that's what a, uh, a hexy cluster does. And it goes, okay, here is the relative distances between these. Mm. Um, and, and, and it helps us as humans perceive it. That's all it's doing. It doesn't mean anything other than it allows us to see that there's a, a closer relationship of proximity. Okay, So gotcha. that's one data point. Um, and then what it does is we take what we were talking about in ecology and that apex predator theory. And in, in ecology, we have what's called a fitness landscape. And what it does is it looks at the etropic energy levels of that ecology. So, uh, you know, back to uh, biology, right? There's tropic levels through everything, and that's energy literally. So it comes from the sun, it goes to the grass, the grass grows, it has an energy level, the little rabbits eat it, it has a higher energy level, and then the coyote eats it, it has an even higher, and then we come along and eat the coyote or make him our dog, <laughs> right um and then you know okay so we all there's these energy levels well that's what it's looking at and it takes these narrative cluster analysis on this hexi um, and it starts making a what's called a dispositional map or a fitness landscape and it says okay here is all of the data in a 2d model now it's in a three almost 4d model and now what we can do is we can see ah it's not just length distance it's now height and height represents energy costs, then we can make a determination to go, well, what's likely now, hmm. right? What's, what's what's likely? What's possible? Well, what's possible is how we make decisions. Back to the lion. Sure. Rah, you know, lion coming through the bush. What's possible? A f- effing monster. Right. Get out of there, right? Yeah. Okay, so this is how we make decisions. And so what it does is it shows us the disposition of what's possible. Here are all the possibilities okay that's one that's one important way in which we act, and the other way is to look at, okay, but now it's likely, and remember part of that right the left brain thinking is looking for first fit pattern match, but the, as we're doing the right brain thinking, we start go running a simulation, right, okay, so we're doing a quick simulation of what is likely. well, it's likely this is happening, and I'm wrong about x. Oh, okay, adjust, sure, right. Um, and that's what we're doing with this fitness landscape. So now we can see inter- relational energy costs. What does this mean? Well, let's say I want to predict someone's behavior. Human beings are animals? Animals go path of least resistance. It's about energy. It's, it's back to Ashby's law and some of Heisenberg's um, you know uncertainty stuff, along with some of the thermodynamics. It, it's all in there. Sure. Um, we are. It's all about energy cost. We're going to do what is least Uh, energy cost and therefore we'll go path of least resistance. Um, I can map that out and say okay here's what it would take for this person to do this and it is that is not habitual everyone's and we can see the habit pattern and go here's what likely is to change because now we're accurately mapping the boundary of a complex adaptive system. Mm. We can start looking for clusters, we can start putting in imaginary constraints and playing with it and then see what the system does. So we remember when we were talking about entanglement and how when we push on an entangled trio of corks, we we can't predict we 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 couldn't have predicted the outcome of of, of whatever the reaction was. Right. W- what we're saying is we think we can get to the level where we can because what we can do is leverage this AI to almost infinitely run simulations mm. and find an accurate boundary gotcha. it's past our perception as humans.
1: Sure. But you what know. it's
0: what it's doing is it allows us to stimulate it. And this is what this is the right word to use. When we now are interacting with this, we stimulate the AI. Mm. It gives us a, a new stimulation to then interact with. So it it, it will map this stuff. It'll give me a boundary and then I'll stimulate it again. And then what it does is it gives me new boundary dynamics. It shows me different, you know, behavioral output. It does all sorts of crazy stuff. And oh, by the way, it's scarily accurate because now I'm using distributed cognition. Right. Back to the submarine and the and the cattle ranchers. I'm getting like no shit right on the mark.
2: Because it's Um, all crowdsourced and
0: That's right. Not filtered that's right so um and, and you know governments right now are playing with it they're pretty they're still natives right mm-hmm. we're we're still infants at this we don't even and that that's why i'm saying like everyone's going to see this rapidly increase this ai stuff gotcha. um, what they're what they're going to be shown is all of the um all of the old knowledge framework stuff natural language processing um, machine learning My thing gets a little bit into machine learning, but most of what you were talking about was what's called natural language processing, and it's looking at knowledge frames, which is 100% totally legitimate, and it will help us discover things quicker, right? So let's say, you know, I don't know, there's a new form of brain surgery. Well, as those people literally act out and understand that activity more, AI will help them map it faster. So that's good, you know, stuff like that. So it's not, it's not is that it's useless or that it's going away or that we're getting rid of empirical logic and New- Newtonian physics. What we're doing is now we're realizing that that applies to our, our, our past sure. perspective. But we still have two other time sense- senses, present and future.
1: Gotcha. So if you think right.
0: about the march of human history, we have just now started to figure out only one of our time perceptions, and that's the past. See, We're still playing with the present. This is brand new.
2: The setup of um, all of this centered around like um, incentives and uh, energy cost mm-hmm. and yeah. Um, yeah, passive lease resistance. Like that all kind of reminds me and harkens to the the way that Bitcoin was set up and put into motion and kind of its layer one protocol. Like Satoshi, whoever he or they or whatever was, must have. Sort of been on a similar thought pattern to put in place what he put in place, and um, w- when we were talking last time, I had brought up uh, Jason Lowry, mm-hmm. the uh, g- guy who's doing a he's like a U.S. National Defense Fellow at MIT right now, yeah, he's, yeah, um, Space Force kid who's like kind of showing uh his main thesis is that like Bitcoin is, um the new software mechanism and that uh like we're going to be moving away from kinetic war toward this software technology where we can impose physical costs in like a non-lethal way.
0: I Yeah. I, I hope, well, one, I, I hope so. I have a, I do have a vision and I know it's, it, it's, it's not possible, sure. but I, I, I still have it. And that is that, yeah, there would be one day that we could, uh, entangle ourselves so bad that we couldn't hurt each other. I think that's like literally the only thing I can, way to say it. So I have read some of his stuff and, and, and I, I, I tend to agree. Um, right now the wars are narrative and I, and I don't mean that in a, in a non-lethal way. The info war. Right. Um, ironically, it's always been about the mind. Of course. Um, Yeah. All of, all of warfare is about defeat Getting your enemy to be de- defeated, and that's a psychological effect. Um, and so, uh, and we, we do that in a number of ways. One of them is we I, I kill you. Now you have no mind. I literally destroyed you. And that's right. one way, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, but it's not the only way. And as a matter of fact, uh, when nation states go to war, um, they tend to attrit each other until the other one is psychologically defeated. So you don't kill everyone in, in the enemy tribe, um, you kill just enough until they are. Th- psychologically done and then they quit um and then you get to impose your will on them mm-hmm. um and sometimes that's terribly draconian obviously sure um but but you know what that's we're seeing right now in like uh ukraine and uh, russia is that the physical war is actually a shaping function of the narrative war the main war is narrative sure. and they're just using tanks to shape the narrative
2: so uh- Narrative being such a central part of it, is that uh, what makes things like Nagasaki necessary? Like everyone talks about Hiroshima and the first bomb Mm -hmm. that's dropped. And there's almost like this galvanizing effect of that. And then Nagasaki comes along and it's like, no, 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 no more, no more.
0: Yes. So yeah, and I think and again, you know, we now we're looking back, right? So we're going to sure. use this uh, uh um, way this in the inductive past too. reasoning, yeah. right? Yeah, so we're going like, to go okay, so there's an infinite number of interpretations. I would say two things that I see as a pattern. Number 1 is that we were very much in bloodlust state. Sure. And so um, and and we had completely uh we were agrarian, we were all farmers,
1: okay? Mm-hmm.
0: And then we we get attacked and then all of a sudden our we're convinced that, you know, that this is going to be a fight to the death and that those people are not human. Mm-hmm. So then we get our bloodlust on and we start kicking a lot of ass and we're very successful not in the beginning but you know towards the middle we were really really successful and at the very end we really leverage this Newtonian physics stuff.
1: Sure. And we got this super
0: weapon. That's right. And oh, by the way, like not because we were smarter, because we probably got the right people at the right time and maybe some butterfly effect stuff, like who knows, right? Sure. Um, Because all these other nations were diligently working on them prior to us. We were actually pretty late in the game. And so stole some guys like Oppenheimer. And so we get this thing. And, you know, it's not in our perception yet. We don't even know what this means. And this is, it's hard for us to grasp this because we have meaning to it now, right? Like, yeah. that's what we're talking about. Like, oh, what do you think it means? Sure. Um, but they didn't even understand what it was yet, let alone what it meant. And so they just used it. They had it and they used it. Just like if they made a bomb, the bomb was made to be used. And so you use the bomb mm-hmm. or you use the bullet or you, it's just, yeah, you use it. Of course you use it. Why? Well, we made it.
1: Sure. It's right. A tool I know a it's a certain.
0: Belt. That's right. It's it's kind of circular logic, but that's also how I mean, why did you do it then? Right. If you didn't want
2: to use you it? you pour all of this time and money and uh, you know, w- brain power into the project and then that's you right. have it, like you it's imperative that you use
0: it. And you have the context. Sure. This is the other important part about this. And this is like if you uh, uh Al Gore was interviewed after 9/11. Now remember, Al Gore lost the election to Bush and would have been the president during nine eleven. Sure. So Al Gore was interviewed after nine eleven. Hey, you know, we found that you had a bunch of these like anti terrorism bills and that you were specifically targeting people like Al Qaeda. Like, if you would have been president, do you think you know you would have passed this and it could have prevented nine eleven? And he said, Well, these might these bills might have prevented nine eleven. Yeah, we were pretty much onto them. The problem was is there wasn't a context for it. Sure. Nine eleven hadn't happened yet.
1: So, so who's he wasn't to care?
0: That's right. So yeah. none of those initiatives would have had the, uh, the impetus to be pushed and, and, and to get the energy, energy cost the energy behind it. Right. Right. And so I think for like Nagasaki, it's okay. They have the energy cost. They, they have it. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of it is okay. I'm going to use this. A lot of people think it might had, might have had more to do with the Russians as like, we were, we were, we knew they were watching and it was actually a show for them.
1: Sure. Um,
0: now of like, course, we'll that, fucking do it, man. That's right. That's right. No, and more like we have it and it's real. Sure. Look at all those dead people.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and then they kind of go, oh shit. Yeah. They're serious. Um, and then, you know, again, so number one, the, the, uh, Hirohito didn't know what a, an atomic bomb was when right. he got his emissaries, they said Nagasaki's destroyed. Okay. But you said that about a lot of other cities because right. we bombed the shit out of them. So well, what do you mean destroyed? Like gone. Okay, no, it can't be gone because it's never happened before in human history. Right. I mean, unless you talk about the great deluge, like the flood. Sure. That's the only time maybe we consciously can look back to the narrative. I don't know. That's the narrative I think of is the flood. Sure. So it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. Okay. Like goes to bed, doesn't. What what are you going to. What am I supposed to do with gone? I don't even know what that means. So he just goes to bed and wakes up and a few days later, another one hits. Yeah. So it wasn't like uh, you know they were gonna hold out, or I don't even think they understood what it meant. And then when the second town was gone, that's when they started going, "What the fuck's going on?" And then and then evidence started coming in and and burned bodies. They actually were bringing them burned bodies and stuff. And so that's that was like kind of the empirical evidence, like sure. oh, I see the thing with my eye. Um, and so after that, yeah. Now luckily for us and them, I guess that we were bluffing and had a third one. We didn't, mm-hmm. uh, but we said you know Tokyo's next, and so they said okay. Um, but that was the defeat mechanism and you right. see the difference between, um, what, what made the Japanese get defeated and what made the Germans get defeated. See, in, in psychologically for the Germans, the land was the center of gravity. That was their source of power. It was about the the fatherland. Sure. Okay. Um, and so when the territory itself was occupied, like, you know, my grandfather got shot in Germany in, in 44, um, They were physically, they had to physically come into the country of Germany. Right. And then the Germans started giving up because they're like, well, the whole point of the war was to protect the homeland. Right. And now the homeland's, you know, screwed. So that failed. And now I'm done. Um, The Japanese weren't like that. Their center of gravity psychologically was the emperor. Mm. He was the source of power. And so they, it wasn't the land. They'll die for every inch of that island. You know, that's who cares? It's about the emperor. As long as the emperor is alive, Japan is alive. Hmm. Um, so as soon as the emperor quit, everything else toppled. So you, yeah, you're, you're that's, that's a that's a very good perception there of of, of seeing how you know narrative affects things. Sure, um, because it does. And you know now we're looking at narratives in terms of what what is that sensory data that we can pull from it. Um, and so everything now gets that lens. Um, and again, there's, I'm sure there's, there's things that we are still not going to master yet anytime soon, but right. what's interesting is that it's giving people the ability now to do what we do in the, in the present, which is act, right. um, and, and build sense-making models that allow us to do that as opposed to try to act in the now using what our perception of the past. Gotcha. Um, so, and it has a lot of other concepts too, for just ecology. It's kind of exciting. One of the things they're looking at now with all these fitness landscapes was things like Hurricane Katrina. I mean, they, all their computational models for how the, uh, the seawalls were built had, what they did is they took the worst hurricane on record, grabbed all the, you know, the data from that right. and then like added it, like, like times it by 10 and said, that should do it. Nothing will ever get like that. Sure. Um, and, a you know. Pun not attended. a perfect storm happened and uh, all of a sudden you've got all these other second and third order effects that compound it. Right. And it overcame the, the strength of those seawalls and it flooded New Orleans. Well, if you go back 150, 200 years before New Orleans was a, you know, a real big city and they started dredging, you can see a delta. Right. You, know? you go to anywhere that there's like a mouth on a the river, there is this ecology there. And the cool thing about like delta areas is what we're finding is that the soil, which is like a, it's a mud, muck, dirt mixture down mm-hmm. there, um, what we're finding is that can actually absorb more water than it's holding currently. So at any given time, whatever the water table is, it can surge and take on even more water, sometimes, uh, you know, four or five, six times uh, the, the physical volume. Um, the reason being is is those tidal areas have have adapted to things like hurricanes. It's designed for when the surge waters come in the the marshes and deltas absorb all that water and it dissipates it in a way that doesn't completely destroy the ecology. So what we've done in modernity is we've come into these areas we've terraformed them to our liking using inductive and deductive logic and then what we've done is we said see all of our models show us that this is this is the range of possibility except it's not right because nature is a complex adaptive system it's not an ordered system sure so physics shows us that the way we've been living isn't isn't optimal even from using our own logic it's not optimal yeah um so i think that's where this next turning is happening you know and i i i, I think a lot of people are seeing this nexus you know you look at china look at look at the look at the police state and the surveillance state in the united states we're heavily surveyed. We sure. know our behavior changes when we're being observed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's one of the things we talked about. Like everybody feels it. They're like, yeah, I if I know I'm being watched, I won't do this. Right, or, I won't do it to this degree. Sure. Um, and that that's that that we, we can't we can't live like that. Mm-hmm. That's not how we're designed to live. That that's not good for anyone. Um, the prisons that we build for ourselves will be for our children. Right. You know, and I think that that's the the uh, what the cool part about you know quantum mechanics, the new physics c- that's coming out. We're rediscovering some of these patterns in nature, um, and not in a hokey way, not in a new age in, you know new age way. Um, I I think that's what all that was trying to get after. If I was to be honest, you know, our yeah. parents' generation, they you know that the peace and love movement was tr- they knew this this couldn't keep going. And if they go on, continue to go on the direct same trajectory, it's going to, it's going to hurt us.
2: Right. You know, it's going to kill our
0: soul. Um, and so I think that's kind of where we're at is like, okay, you know, is there a way to just, just take a deep breath and pause for a second on the things we've been doing sure, and not make a value statement, not say it's good or bad. Just say, okay, this is it. This is what we've been doing. Let's look at some, some kind of sidecasting options here. What's possible. Sure. Not just what's probable or likely, but like what's possible right now. Because maybe we could redesign some things to where this, the constraints on the system aren't aren't unnatural. That's what we need to look at. So if you've got if you've got malbehavior, if someone's gaming the system, like this is the thing with Bitcoin. This yep. is the thing the state is so upset about. Mm-hmm. Is they're they're crying because people are gaming their system. Right. Right. That's what. Th- that's what. Wall Street is, is poo-pooing about. Mm-hmm. We've rigged the system in our favor. We're playing this game. Your school systems told you, this is how you become successful. You need to come play this game. And a bunch of us didn't.
2: Right, yep. And
0: then now we're developing parallel economies because your system's too overly constrained. Yeah. And, and they, they don't get it yet. They, they don't understand that they're still in Newtonian physics. Yep. And that's done. It's not, we're not going back to that. We're, mm-hmm. It's not going to continue. And that's what gives me, you know, hope and inspiration. That's why I'm motivated to do the work that I'm doing, Totally, is to try to actually leverage this. And this is, and back, back to ethics. Maybe that's something we could talk more about. Yeah,
2: that's what I was just about to say, is you'd mentioned earlier, to circle back to ethics. And it uh-huh. seems, it like feels like we're going there naturally.
0: Yeah, well, you know, and that's what's so exciting, I think, about these topics is, uh, I, to me, they all interconnect. Um, you know, I'm more of a generalist. Uh, I, I've been a specialist for so long. I realized that, you know, special specializations for ants, I, I'm, I'm done being a specialist. I'm, I'm back to being a generalist again, Nice. um, and, and not apologizing for it, which is hard to do. You know, most of, uh-huh. most of day jobs require you to be a specialist. Yeah, something.
2: definitely. They don't
0: want you to be a generalist because then you start figuring out what's, you know, what stinks in their system. Right. Um, I'm kind of a little bit, I guess, I, I guess I'm more of a radical than I ever thought I was, uh, because nice. you know? I'm like, I feel like that's kind of the reason why I stuck around in the industry that I did was like, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm going to perturb the system here.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shake things up and, you know, and call um, out like uh, outdated bullshit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Well, and a lot of it, you know, they're, they're so they're. I hate to say it, but our society's programmed and predictable. I already know what logic you're, you're, you're using. Sure it was the same logic that I was taught, you know, I, that's what we all, we live to this continual process improvement system. You know, it's, I I mean, it's kind of funny, but you know, all the, all the potheads talking in the seventies about, you know, Hey, it's the, it's the man, it's the military industrial complex. It's all that stuff. They are a hundred percent, right. They picked up on the pattern. That's exactly what, what it was. And if you listen to some of those old guys and gals, like they'll tell you, I mean, it's really low fidelity, but it's in there. Um, you know, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I'm constantly looking at is making sure like, Hey, you know, what, what future are we going to leave for our kids? Because this is just going to keep grinding us down. Yeah. There's always going to be another war in this system. Your, your kids are going to have to go to it. Um, you're gonna, you're gonna sell them off in their labor, uh, for, for your retirement. Um, you know, the, and, and, you know, if you look at indigenous cultures, they've had these ethics before where they've said like, you know, you, you have to be careful about, you know um, what, you know, leaving food for your kids. Like if you've over an area, um, you know, that's food off your children's plate. Sure. You know, you gotta be careful instead of getting, you know, I want to collect ex- excess amount of whatever. Um, well, when you do that, you're, you're changing the ecology of that system. Um, and everything's balanced. That's the other thing too. And I think that's, you know, I, I get the new age movement stuff from the seventies and they were, they were trying to get back to the nature thing. Um, but we probably weren't ready for it yet, you know, and I hate to say it, but a lot of it has to do with science. Yep. Um, science, like the, the fact that quantum mechanics is getting more understood now and it's starting to permeate into some of these other disciplines is a good thing, but we weren't, we, we had some of this knowledge, but the commoner didn't, yeah. me or you couldn't have had that. You know, if we were our parents, we couldn't have uh, learned about quantum mechanics. I can go now and do a, you know a class on it. Um, I don't you know, need to go to, uh, academia. Sure. Um, so I, I, think, I think this is, it, it's, it's going to shift and that's, and I, and I, that's maybe why, you know, you were talking about, uh, uh, you know, the narrative stuff and specifically about Bitcoin and, and how that might actually, you know, uh, counter some of the, the kinetic, uh, you know, war and killing. And yeah, it might, I mean, I, that's the cool thing about, you know, this new way of thinking, this abductive logic. Right. is that it, it actually gives you a rational, uh, series of, uh, what's possible. You know, well, you, you don't, you don't have to feel sorry about dreaming about things anymore. I sure. mean, <laughs>
1: yeah, it's actually
0: there's the power is in the dream. It's in this conceptual blending that sure. we do. Um, and, and now we're leveraging tools, uh, to help us with our abductive logic. Um, all of our tools in the past have been with the, the inductive and deductive, but now we've got, um, AI, AI is our abductive tool. So you're going to see a lot of strange things, but there's also going to be some really cool shit, Um, some positive stuff, which is which is awesome. Because I think right now, like everybody needs, you know, some type of positive encouragement. Definitely, (laughs) what's this world gonna be? Oh God! Like we're all gonna be cyborgs, like. You sure. Know, something like no. I, I mean, maybe some people might, you know, implant a third limb. I don't know, maybe, but you don't. You don't have to, <laughs> right? Well, I don't have to. that's back to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who do you want to be? You know, I
2: don't. So you, but, you seeing like uh, like the you you seem to be kind of a a little white pilled on the future of um AI in general, and it's you, yeah you, you're not seeing it as kind of this dystopian Terminator Wolf. nightmare of like the machines controlling our lives, but like, we are working in tandem with this, like, it's just another tool that's extension of ourselves or? Yes. So
0: so you're, you're right about that. It is a tool that is is an an extension of ourselves. That's what this is going to be. That's what it is now. Um, and it will become more obvious as people, as commoners start using it, right? I, I, myself included. Right. I'm exposed to this because of, of my job. Mm -hmm. I could not on my own, uh, you know, be involved in something to the scale. So, but... But just like anything else, eventually it will filter down. And then one day, I hope my kids have some type of AI they can, you know, interact with and will help them shape their understanding of the world and and show them, you know, possibilities. You know, Mm. I think that's the cool thing to me is to me, it is the dream part. It's the, it's, you know, part of our soul that comes out of us that it's it's unique to us as well, you know, and, but we all, we all have one, you know, we all have this thing down there that's like the source of generating power. And, uh, from that comes all this well of, of, you know, uh, ideas and possibilities. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of white pilled, I guess, but at the same time, like I'm also not naive, um, Sure, I'm pretty sure, you know, same thing. I'm sure Oppenheimer, you know, I think he wrote about it. Uh, I, I need to do this. I'm going to make a weapon so terrible. It's going to stop war and gotcha. it
1: because yeah.
0: that's not what, that's not what tools do. This sure. tool isn't going to replace man's nature. Right. Um, instead. Um, it will be like any other tool. There will be bad actors that pick this up and do horrible things. Um, There will also be good people that learn how to use this. And the goal I have seen now, because of the rate of change, um, the technological progression is speeding up to the point where we might actually be able to distribute the critical technology to the people before the elites get it. Hmm. That's consistently been a problem in humanity.
2: Sure, yeah. like
0: Consolidation the, of power.
2: The printing press and... That's right. All the weapons of war and et cetera. Um, so... That, uh, that, I gotta bring back Bitcoin up in, in, uh-huh. that, in that case, though. Because yeah. it's sort of, like, the origin story of, like, if any governments or even, like, multinational corporations had known before it could be known, you know, in, like, 2009, yeah. 10, and 11... Uh, that Bitcoin would become what it, what it has become. Right. Even though, you know, they were pretty open about what they were going for Uh when they, when they put it out. But until you see it, until you have a context, until there's the narrative there, it it's, it's not able to be grasped at all.
0: That's right. That's right. And, And, and that's the apex predator theory part, right? So sure. if you look at like Sears Roebuck, Sears Roebuck was uh, was big in Kansas City. And one of the things that they did, I mean, by the they, they were the Amazon of their day. They right. yep. uh, even sold homes to people. You yep. could go into a catalog and buy your house and it would come in a crate delivered to your property. Um, that, 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 that was the level of, of uh, customer service and product service um, that we had. And that was all the way up into the 1990s. And Sears Roebuck became; was still a dominant force in the market in the 90s. Um, and they started before the war. They were like, I don't know, maybe even older, 1920. It might have been before World War I. But they have been around for a long time. And, y- you know, when the Internet came out, they laughed at it. And they refused to use it. They refused to even consider it. And it gets back to this, you know, continual process improvement. You're in an old paradigm. And you think that you're on top. You think you've, you've ordered your system. And to you, you have. You've created an ordered system illusion. Mm. And here come the environment shifts, and now there's a new apex predator. And what, what happens in an ecology? Everything calibrates off the apex predator. Sure. So this is a problem with a lot of the business management theory stuff. Is what they do is they go around to these super corporations and they interview the people that run them and that started them and all this stuff. And then they might do like two or three or four, maybe even if they're really, you know, froggy, they'll do like, you know, 10 or 20 and they'll go, see, here's all the patterns. If you just do what they did, you too will be successful. And that's, that's, that's charlatan work. That's like snakes, snake oil salesman, uh, you know, (laughs) of the year. And and, uh, corporate, corporate America eats it up. Yeah. They have their they they literally have these seminars and these you know green red blue belt programs you mm-hmm. know like lean six sigma you name it and they do the continual process improvement seminars and they I mean it's it's insane and they continue to perpetuate the flaw uh, of of trying to determine what to do in the future with looking at the past they can't get out of it st- it's a, it's like a drug and I'm confident that yeah Bitcoin has the the capacity. To become a, a dominant predator sure, um it's the same thing that happened with the internet. the internet democratized information and communication yep um and it, and I don't mean from you know like liberal western uh, democratize, like what they would say is right <laughs> yeah protect democracy, but like no, I mean like from no, like a legitimate diffused diffusal totally you know, like, like a, now it's equal for a
2: playing ground leveler. Mm-hmm. uh yeah. yeah, I see that uh with with Bitcoin as well, just the whole like the, bl- the blockchain was distributed in uh, a wide enough manner before it could be, you know, exploited or understood or attacked. Exactly. Uh, yep. It was allowed long enough to kind of fly under the radar and be built just by regular people that now yep. it's insurmountable. Like, you could never overcome the regular people without, like, such a detrimental attack that it would affect far other things, you know, and you wouldn't just be right. talking about the Bitcoin network. You'd be talking and, about... And, you know, there was... The internet in general, you know, or uh, massive cities, yeah. or even nation states—you know—being attacked.
0: Oh yeah, no, that's a that's a fair point. It made me. You said it, kind of made me think about um, how the uh, 3D printer or maker community um, uh, started, and there was sure. a lot of promise there. Um, someone pointed out to me the other day, and again, you know, I I'm not uh, anarcho-communist, um, but every once in a while, I have. I agree with some of my anarcho-communist friends. Okay, um, <laughs> nice. Um, you know, I, I'm am not, but every once in a while they make a, a pretty good point. That's sounds like, yeah, okay. like
2: commie bullshit to me. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, and I think it's just their influence. You know, it's like uh, yeah. they can't get rid of. It, so I don't know how many you know how many guys you've talked to or gals you talked to like you know just anarchist community type of stuff. But sure. One like you know either you're really either you're anarcho-capitalist, anarcho-communist. Or, you know, some type of uh, what a a bootlegger. <laughs> well, agrarian. Oh, well, maybe, well, maybe there's some. I think there's some black bill people in there too. Like, sure. Like maybe nihilistic, and they're like the, uh, so uh, accelerationists. So my...
2: Like yeah, there you go. Maybe let's get to like Armageddon that. tomorrow. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. Okay, so there's I'm sure a bunch of subgroups in there that I'm not recognizing. So I apologize no, if it's... I've offended any of your <laughs> the uh, anybody out there listening. Yeah, um, we always so, make
2: a running joke of like once you uh, start list- listing all of the friends or all the shows or all the groups or all the whatever then you look like uh-huh. an asshole cuz of what you forgot like it's
1: just oh, yeah, inevitable yeah, yeah. fair enough man.
0: you can't yeah, hit them all enough. um but yeah so one of the things that they they kind of mentioned was yeah you know it looked like it was going to distribute you know the means of production as as my uh, anarcho communist friends would would say <laughs> yeah. their their means of production um but but you know who's feeding it well, it's China. They're the ones that are sending you the 3D printers and feeding you the raw material. Mm, so, are you really free if they can control your source of power? And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, to me, it's like, yeah, I see that. And then it's to a question. And this is, I guess, a big thing in like the freedom movement. Like, what, what does that mean? What What is it? Is Is how, can you be totally free? Um, it's It's a I know a philosophical question, but I think it's also kind of a, a, an old human question. We talked true. about narratives the very first written word that we know of was in cuneiform, Sumerian cuneiform, Hmm. and it's just the word freedom. So this has been important to us since the beginning. um, And I think it does have to do with our consciousness and and our will and what it is that we're doing. Um, So, yeah, it's Bitcoin. That's why I love anything that's decentralized. Sure. Because I kind of get back to the, you know, and again, I'm a staunch individualist. I'm not a collectivist, um, but... I do think there is some weird wisdom inside the tribe. Um, Oh, absolutely. I think it's bigger than us. And so sometimes I'm kind of like, yeah, I know there's a bunch of rascals out there, but I also trust it. I I don't know how else to say it. I I
2: agree, man. It just goes. I've always felt that way of like, there is like the whacktard protester doing a hunger strike for whatever, but like their actions are also necessary in the aggregate. Yeah, yeah, because it's the I, I tension that it's the yeah. tension that people need to push against. Like without that tension, there would be no counter, mm-hmm. uh, force at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I'm wondering, you know, and this is kind of where I'm at my edge of, uh, what I'm doing. So I kind of wonder sometimes too, and, and maybe you guys would have a better perspective since you talk to more people, but, uh, you know, I kind of wonder where the. Um, where that if there's a way to have that tension and without it, you know, spilling over just to have it optimal, right? Like the optimal tension there, which means like we don't have to physically go to blows, but that like enough of everybody can kind of like calibrate themselves not to go to violence kind of thing. Cause I'm, I'm also, you know, I come from like libertarian perspective too, of like, you know, nonviolence, you know, uh, that type of stuff.
2: I think the best examples have been not like, aggression uh, principle.
0: Sorry. That's what I was trying to think of. Sure. Not NAP. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, I think the best examples have been just any online forums or environments that are, um, as uncensored or unmanipulated as possible. And things like, uh, Reddit when it was first, uh, introduced, you know, mm. back when Aaron Schwartz was there or like, um, uh, places like the Fediverse now, if you're on an, uh, a Macedon or Pleroma instance that uh, just allows you to say what you want and doesn't uh, censor Censoring. your access yeah. to other people or other ideas. Uh, things like uh, 4chan before you know, it was heavily manipulated and, and censored and uh, uh-huh. suppressed and everything like that. Anywhere that uh, you have to just survive based on the strength of your uh, ideas and your argument. Um
0: yeah. So, and, so I guess and this and maybe another question too, and also we, I haven't heard from Lorian because we've just been talking. So maybe you should ask.
2: Her this is yes.
0: What, uh, what, what she thinks? Like, I'm is just, there?
2: I'm taking it all in.
0: <laughs> is is there like you guys think that there's a way to account for like you know you kind of say like sh- strongest you know survival the fittest in terms of ideas, and that's like one of the things I kind of am concerned about sometimes. Is like you know, is there what what do we do with people that don't have any? Because there are those people, this is a hard thing for us to process. But not everyone's going to meet the level of you know whatever. So, is there a way to account for that too, or people don't get
2: crushed? (laughs) You're on the spot. Oh, I threw my hand up. Uh, (laughs) No one can hear that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Yeah, it might just be. I don't know. We've talked a lot about you and I about how like it's a nerfed world we're walking around in. And is that necessarily a good thing evolutionarily if it's, you know, you, you're not putting anything in, and hey, yeah. maybe that's some commie bullshit, but, like, you're not putting anything in, and yet you're here just, like, taking up space-time resources, et cetera. Like, you should maybe be able to fend for yourself in that way, but if you're a burden on the larger society, like, dragging it down, I don't know. Like, it feels yeah. like in the last century that uh these guardrails have been put in place so that like the evolutionary culling that used to happen hundreds and thousands of years ago is now like actively fought against and is that a good thing or a sustainable thing like i don't know again i know you said like not making value judgments about it like good or bad i don't even know it's hard to really quantify but like Will it keep working? You know.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, and maybe that's those are the types of questions. And I know, like, without sounding you know, oh, sustainable. It's not about energy. It's not about clean anything. What what it's about is is that like, can it continue? Right. Um, That's probably a. It's a less loaded buzzword right now. Um, <laughs> sure. I, I use that word all the time, I'm meaning it like it's supposed to be meant. Sustainable, sustainable, right?
2: Like, is it going to um, run nah. out of gas and fall off the cliff tomorrow? Like,
0: exactly. So, yeah, and I and I think you know, if, if we took a step back, and and I think you you guys know as as parents, you know, you're you're you've got your little tribe now, and sure. you know it extends. You know, you have formal and informal extensions of that, and there's there's help there, and in a in a you know back when human beings were in smaller tribal and, and kin groups, um, we had optimal kin sizes about 100 to 150 mm. and there's a there's a bunch of research with this um, that shows like what your intimate circle is like what your uh, what your working relationships are and then what your kin group and association uh, culture is and it had it's like very predictable numbers. it's like you know 5, uh, 10, 15, 30. And then a hundred, <laughs> huh. you know, something like that. And yeah. it's essentially like you can memorize a hundred people essentially. Um, and we do this in the army, our rifle companies are a hundred. Uh, and that's enough for you at, at nighttime. You could make out all of their silhouettes and know who they are. Mm-hmm. So you don't even have to see their faces. It's like your body picks up on the familiarity of them enough. So if those are the people you'll be around. And that's what they guess now anthropologists are looking back and going, we think, you know, before the modern period, human beings basically lived in king groups of 100. Like that was your village size. Um, because so, you know, if we take that scenario and we ask that same question, like, what is the what does the weak member do? What happens? Right. What does that look like? You know, and I think we might be surprised of how compassionate many of our ancestors actually were um, with some things and not with others. So in some cases, our ancestors were extremely brutal by our our standards. Sure, Um, Kill their own children type brutal um, because they were exhibiting uh, predatory behavior, right? So they're uh, like, you could pretty much tell if some kid's going to, you know, and it's mostly males, um, but if there's going to be some type of, uh, you know, sociopath, murderer, Uh that's going to continue to repeat murder, not out of passion or anything but like they are now wired to murder people um you can tell at about 16 years old 15 16 um you start to see early indicators when they're in their you know four to five early ranges Uh um and it has to do with them abusing pets specifically um but anyway but if but if it doesn't get rectified very quickly um by the time they're in their teenage years like it's pretty much done and there are countless stories of uh families uh and tribes um Sometimes it would be tribes because you know, well, we don't want to ask mom and dad to have to go off their own kids. so we're sure. going to help. Right. Um, but essentially, it's yeah, it, you know, take the young man out hunting, and then he has a hunting accident and doesn't come back. Mm. Um, and that there wasn't there wasn't this like you know like what we see of schools like mass shootings. There wasn't this, right? It's not because they didn't have guns. There wasn't mass stabbings. There wasn't mass any like big people just killed them. Sure, early, interesting. Um, and so, so in that case. Yeah, like we can be very brutal. And so that's what I get. Sometimes I get concerned about is, yeah, sometimes we're also not calibrated right to do that either. Right. We can get mob mentality back to the weird calibration stuff. Sure. We can get mob mentalities right. and all this other Salem witch trial kind
1: of shit, you right. know, yeah. um, which –
0: you know, I, who knows, but at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure we all know what happens. Like they all talked themselves into frenzy and started hanging a, a bunch of people, you know, yeah. um, that just had nothing to do with anything. Like she sneezed, a witch, you know, that
1: kind of sure, stuff. Sure. Yeah.
0: Um, but, you know, but at the same time, we, you know, we can be pretty compassionate. We can keep, you know, people around and there's evidence that, you know, people that were born with, uh, physical disabilities, you know, in, in, in the Neolithic age were actually cared for. Yeah. That they, they, they wouldn't just go, oh, you're not gonna make it and just toss them off a cliff. It was like, no, like we have, they're us. You know? sure. yeah. <laughs> that's us, that's us. And actually, by the way, they, they see that around the same time we start doing conceptual blending, about 70,000 years. Mm. Because now we create this other category. See, when someone's in pain, it's not you and it's not them. You can't feel them and you're not in pain. It's this third person. Mm. It's this third you. You've, you've, you've now morphed with them and can feel it.
2: It's the, and us you go, thing.
0: ow. Yes, yes.
2: Exactly. We, are, we are hurting.
0: Yes, we're hurting. There's no such thing as we're right. It doesn't physically exist, but we abstract it through what's called conceptual blending. We take the, you know, you, me, and it, and now we create the it. And so it, 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 it changes it. It changes us. That's why, that's why I think this is such a dilemma. 'Cause right. we have this ability and now I can't not think of it. You know, I can't not think of that person as me. Um <laughs> like crap. I can't God, I'll never sleep again if I you know, if we leave Tom out in the out in the snow or something. <laughs> you
1: know? Oh, damn.
0: Tom will haunt me forever. You know, that's that's how I am. So anyway.
2: Damn. Well man, uh it feels like just a blink of an eye, but it's we're coming up on the two and a half hour mark, man. That's crazy. Uh now Lorian knows why I'm always so late getting home when I'm hanging out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, that was great. We never need to have him on again. Oh, no,
2: <laughs> not at all. I like hearing the non-TLDR version of this uh, conversation. <laughs> oh, right
0: on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like the in-depth. Spence gets
2: home and he gives me a sentence. How oh, we talking about Bitcoin in this? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> for two hours? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I meant to start out, by the way, the very beginning by thanking you guys for sending us dinner the other day that was
1: yes of thank you course. so much congratulations again and thank you.
0: if you guys need anything let us know yeah. uh, I'm, i i i love the fact that you guys are you know you know parents and how much you love your kids i think this is this is why i'm white pilled, spencer <laughs> <Lake-ton-> <laughs> I'm, like, yep, yep. I'm like i just see good people and i'm like you guys are good people exactly. and you know I, yeah anyway
2: um and that's funny you talk about the tribe too and the extended tribe like um Th- through doing this and all the bowlers out there and people we've just like met in real life across the country, um, that's what gives me hope too. You know, it's like we're out here concerned about the things and we're seeing through the um, the the scams and the usual suspects and we're, we're all kind of together, actively trying to solve these problems that we've seen. And that's what gives me hope too. You know, it's like I'm not. It's not just being by myself. In some basement. It's like all of these people together. So, thanks for being one of them, man.
0: Yeah, and, and yes, and thank you guys for having me. Really
2: of course. Uh, and thank you, Bowlers, for hanging out and pushing all of this thing in, in what we think is the right direction. Building the future we want our children to uh, inherit. And uh, we'll be back at it again next Tuesday night, just like always. Uh, late start once more. So, 10 Central. But uh, be taking this stream over, just as usual, right after DH Unplugged. Every Tuesday night, for forever, the foreseeable future. I will remain Sir Spencer Wolf, Kansas City. And I will be Dame DeLorean. Until next time,
1: May your bowls burn ever brighter. pitched
2: he was a basketball maybe we should try to track down that smoker
1: don't tell him we're high. he totally knew I was dumped that's a dumb place to keep bowls
2: bowl after
1: bowl till he's sick bowl after bowl dot com